0: Hello everyone and welcome back to the Movie MovieX Podcast. I am Gabriel Chavez. And I am Paul Schendel. Today we are joined by my wife, Caitlin. Hey y'all. There's a very important reason for this, is the movie which we are about to look at, we actually went to go see when we were first dating. Like eight days after our first date, we went to go see this oh, wow. pile of garbage. <laughs> <laughs> so... Anyway, was today... Was the first what?
1: or eighth movie you saw together, knowing you,
0: Gabe? Uh, I think it was probably the third movie that we saw together, because we saw Where the Wild Things Are before this movie.
1: And Finding Nemo, I assume? No, no, no <laughs> Finding <laughs> Nemo.
0: <laughs> anyway... Today, we fuck, fuck, fucking, fuck, fuck, homophobic slur, racial slur, bang, bang, boom, Tarantino (laughs) reference, Irish, Irish, Irish. I'm Irish. I'm proud to be Irish. Did you know that I'm Irish? Did you know that we are in Boston? Our way to the 2009 shit for brain sequel known as Boondock Saints 2 All Saints Day. But first, this is a comedy podcast. If you've not seen the movie we are about to shit on and you want to avoid spoilers, stop now. But. If you don't care about spoilers and want to laugh and learn why this movie sucks so bad, hide in that crate over there and scream as loud as you can while fighting with your brother like the alcoholic stereotype that you are and shoot a bunch of people (laughs) with us. (laughs) Without further ado, let's hand it over to Pablo Francisco. Uh, 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 um. The McManus brothers are living a quiet life in Ireland with their father. But when they learn that their beloved priest has been killed by mob forces, they go back to Boston to bring justice to those responsible and avenge the priest. Well, Well, so that is is the basic concept of this movie. It gets dragged down a lot for some reason throughout this movie. (laughs) They just can't focus on the main storyline, but we'll get to that in a second. My disclaimer this week is simply that I fucking hate this movie, and it, I hated it so much that it actually tarnished what I liked about the first movie, and that's actually saying something because the first one is a cult phenomenon, and it is a pretty decent movie, even though I'll get into reasons why it's not a great movie in a moment. But anyway, this is a Stage 6 films release in association with CB Productions and released on home video via Sony Pictures Home Entertainment. Which I think with this movie, it is our eighth movie that has released through Sony, our number one studio thus far. Sony, goddamn, dude, just goddamn. Thank god there is no Sony product placement, though, so that's something at least. For once, we can have a Sony movie without one of their
1: products in this movie.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I don't even know what they would place, honestly. I I mean, I guess that they could have had a close up on like some sort of Sony. What was their MP3 player? Was was it the Walkman? Was that right? Like when they tried to re-release the Walkman? <laughs> yeah, I it was, so. yeah, I guess they, they could have done, done that.
1: Discman.
0: Yeah, Discman with right. <laughs> Julie Benz. Stage six has released over 141 titles over the years, beginning with the 1991 Wizards of the Demon Sword. Not sure what that is, but it has a 2.7 on IMDb. Sounds if that's badass. <laughs> yeah. but it has nobody in it, dude. Like, you figure that a really awful B-movie from 91 might have, like, I don't know, Gary Busey or somebody like that in it, but no, there's nobody in it. Nobody I've ever heard of. But their releasing includes some rather excellent titles, including Damien Chazelle's best movie, Oscar-winning Whiplash, aka the 45th Best Movie of All Time on IMDb, with an Academy Award-winning performance from the always excellent J.K. Simmons. Additionally, they released Hachi, A Dog's Tale with Richard Gere, which is absolutely worthy of its place as the 215th Best Movie of All Time on IMDb, but made Caitlin angry with me for what seemed like a week after I showed it to her.
2: I'm still angry with you. (laughs) Why why is that? (laughs)
0: Okay, so it's, it's a movie about, like, this guy who has this dog, right? And this do- it's based on, like, a real-life story of a Japanese guy that this happened to. But uh, I think – what do they call the big fluffy husky dogs in Japan? Is it a shinubu? Is that right? It's like an Akita, isn't it? Maybe it's an Akita, yeah, but anyway, so it's about this guy who has this dog that he rescues, and then the dog like every day runs down, gets so attached to him that every day runs down with him to the train station to go to work and sits there at the train station all day waiting for him to come home. But one day he has a heart attack and he dies and he doesn't show up back at the train station and the dog like every single day goes back there and just waits at the fucking subway waiting for his owner to come home and it's based on a true story and it's absolutely beautiful and heartbreaking and whatnot but it's heartbreaking as shit (laughs) it's really sad (laughs) to watch this dog go through this shit and caitlin the whole time just keeps looking at me she's like this movie is awful
2: why are you making me watch this (laughs) the only redeeming factor is that it makes me believe why dogs live shorter lives than humans. And it's because they wouldn't be able to handle us leaving um, yeah. because no one would be able to explain that to them. Whereas right. we can handle them leaving because we understand, I don't know, there's just like a value there.
0: But they also gave us the hyper and excellent, the raid duology by action maestro, Gareth Evans, which I fucking love those movies. Her from director Spike Jones, which I absolutely adore. Denny Villanueva's impeccable arrival with Amy Adams the underwatched one-man show called Moon with Sam Rockwell, the great indie sci-fi predestination with Ethan Hawke, which I don't know if you've seen that, Paul, but you should totally check that shit yeah, out. Seen it. It's a good time travel movie, man. They also did Eighth Grade, which I love, The Excellent Felon with The Island of Dr. Moreau alum Val Kilmer, shout-out New Mexico Film for Felon, as well as the great movies Leave No Trace with Ben Foster, Dope with Shamik Moore, the Lobster with Colin Farrell, Disobedience with My Second Wife, Rachel McAdams, which everyone should see, and The Excellent Manchester by the Sea. Wait, wait, wait. wait. Before you go, what?
1: what's, your, what's your take on this second wife thing? You know, he I mean, says my, that
2: my second husband me, but... Michael B. Jordan, so... <laughs>
0: <laughs> wait, I thought your second husband was Channing Tatum first.
2: Oh, no. It, he's moved down on the list. Oh, okay. Oh,
0: so Michael B. Jordan is the second husband, and mm-hmm. what? Channing Tatum's the third.
2: Yeah, and then probably Ryan Gosling.
0: All right. <laughs> <laughs> a mushy-faced football-looking <laughs> motherfucker is ahead of Ryan Gosling. I don't understand. And a talentless actor is ahead of Ryan Gosling. But I don't understand. Okay. Well, besides the fact. so I'm gonna move on here. <laughs> But recently, they gave us Sound of Metal with Riz Ahmed, St. Maud, The World to Come, and Kid Detective, which I all need to see, and they all came out last year. On the single-ply toilet paper shit-stained-hand side of things, they gave us Anacondas, Trail of Blood, a.k.a. Oh. Anacondas 3, which, I dude, I think we need to do Anacondas at some point, because I fucking hate that movie, and I hate everyone in it. Or Anaconda, I'm sorry, the first oh, one.
1: Anaconda, man, that's a classic. Love what that the movie. fuck I are you <laughs> It's so, so good. Like John Voight, man, he just hands it up so hard. I love him in that movie. Right? It's
0: just because he doesn't care, bro. Like <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's why it's fun. <laughs> I think that that's why that movie... This is the only reason why that movie works. Everybody else is, like, fucking pitiful. But anyway, they also gave us Lake Placid 3, which I didn't know existed. Zombie Strippers, which my dad watched on Amazon while high, apparently, which would have been an awesome experience. <laughs> <laughs> Starship Troopers 2 and 3, which I haven't seen either one of those. Three... No. Yeah. <laughs> have you seen any of the sequels, dude? No. Don't need oh, okay. <laughs> well. They also gave us three grudge movies and their remakes, and remakes of Wreck 1 and 2 that are known as Quarantine 1 and 2, which fucking suck, and all three hostile movies, which are absolute bullshit compared to to Takashi Miike. Side note, fuck you, Eli Roth. CB Productions has seven titles to their credit. They began with the original Boondock Saints, as did owner Chris Brinker's career as a producer, and continued on with some movies I've never heard of, like Brooklyn Sonnet, Lonely Street, Bad Country, and an unreleased movie from 2007 called Wide Awake. Not to mention, of course, the Boondock Saints sequel, which we are currently trying to flush down the toilet of memory. I'm not even gonna go into Sony right now. You know what you did, Sony. You know what you did. (laughs) Shame, shame, shame. Five fucking fucks fucking produced this fucking fuck movie, fuck. This week, my attention has gravitated to Don Carmody, Robert N. Fried, and Hartley Gorenstein. Don I bring up because he produced the, the movie that convicted scumbag rapist Harvey Weinstein bought the Best Picture Oscar for in 2002, the movie known as Chicago. He also produced the highly entertaining movie with former star Josh Hartnett called Lucky Number Slevin. Denny Villanueva's excellent Polytechnique, the excellent The Pledge with Jack Nicholson, as well as the rather excellent Heist with the core alum Delroy Lindell. It's my favorite Heist movie, I think. Have you gone back and watched that since we've been talking about it? We brought it up like twice during this podcast, but I was I curious so, if you'd gone uh, back and watched it. It's so... Have the DVD. <laughs> oh, man, it's got so many great lines in that movie, dude. It's so crackingly written. It's fucking insane. Are you making
2: a list of everything you're going to do when you're staying up at 3 o'clock in the morning?
0: <laughs> Rewatch Heist, Paul, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You can work your way through a bunch of movies while you're staying up all night. <laughs> but anyway, he also produced Battlefield Earth, a.k.a. the 16th worst movie of all time, with the Air I Breathe alum Forrest Whitaker, another nine and a half weeks, Driven with Sylvester Stallone, a couple of Silent Hill movies, and more than a few Resident Evil sequels. I mean, Battlefield Earth is enough to end your career, but I don't know how he still makes movies after doing Battlefield Earth. Robert N. Fried, who won an Oscar for producing the 1991 short film Session Man, has done 137 movies over the years. 98 of which are shorts. On the feature side, he produced Black Hat alum Michael Mann's Excellent Movie Collateral with Tom Cruise, the football classic Rudy with Sean Astin, AKA Samwise Gamgee, (laughs) and that's it for good movies. If we flip the diaper over, however, we see Mm -hmm. So I Married an Axe Murderer, Man of the Year with the Late Great Robin Williams and Geely alum Christopher Walken, The Man with Sam motherfucking Jackson, and Godzilla. From ten thousand BC, <laughs> alum Roland Emmerich, and goddamn, what is there to say about oh, that was Godzilla? Nineties
1: Godzilla, yep, yeah. ninety eight, okay. yep.
0: Okay. What is there to say about Godzilla, Paul? Besides, it's worse than if a real reptilian monster ate New York City and shat out its remnants. <laughs> but but wait, wait, wait for a second, Paul. Wait, are you that...
1: sure you want to go that route, Gabe? What if that yeah. really happened? You would rather okay, just yeah, spend the two hours watching. <laughs> bad movie versus having godzilla actually rampage through (laughs) the city
0: well i don't know i mean it's a hard choice for me but i i have a real hypothetical here paul if that did happen and godzilla did shit off the coast of new york wouldn't the shit pile just be called new jersey or am i being too (laughs) mean (laughs) sorry new jersey (laughs) Lastly, for the producers is Hartley Gorenstein. While he is a producer on 16 episodes of the excellent hyperviolent TV show The Boys on Amazon Prime, as well as the Oscar winning movie Room that won Brie Larson her Oscar and Caitlin did not enjoy.
2: It's just the book is so much better and impossible to write as a movie because the narrator is a five year old boy. Have you
0: ever seen that, Paul Room? No, I've been meaning to watch it, but.
2: Add uh, it to your list. <laughs>
0: Brie is great in it, I'll tell you that. I mean, she deserved her Oscar, but that's about it. They also did the rather good Goon with Sean William Scott, but he did, however, produce the awful Polar for Netflix with the always amazing and resident Danish madman Mads Mikkelsen. Oh! The awful Lazarus Project with fucking, uh, what's his name? Paul Walker, there you go, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I heard he forgot his name, that's sad. But anyway, he also did the Mortal Instruments City of Bones, Resident Evil alum Paul W.S. Anderson's reprehensible movie Pompeii, as well as a forthcoming reboot Paul of the Resident Evil franchise currently in post-production for release this year. This time without Mila Jovovich, because we all know that the only thing better than six Resident Evil movies is rebooting it so that you can make six more. God damn you, Hartley. God damn you. This movie stars resident alcoholics Sean Patrick Flannery and Norman Reedus, as well as the excellent Billy Connolly, Clifton Collins Jr., Julie Benz, and the legendary Peter Fonda. I am not gonna even bother mentioning. Wait, Peter Fonda? Yeah, Peter even? Fonda, dude. He's the Roman, bro. Really? <laughs> you didn't gather that? God damn know. it. I didn't even it. Oh know my it's... God. <laughs> I'm not even going to mention that Willem Dafoe reprises his role for a brief moment at the end of the movie because it's not fucking important because they just don't give a shit for a majority of the movie and then all of a sudden they <laughs> tack it on at the end because they think they're clever. And I won't bother the uh, with talking about David Della Roca because other than his, his role as Rocco, he hasn't been in anything at all, ever. So that's that. Sean Patrick Flannery does hail from Irish roots, so that's good but was born in Louisiana and is French-fried Cajun. He's been in 110 movies and, t- and TV shows over the years, Boondock Saints being his most well-known role. His career topped out with the first Boondock Saints, and it has never recovered. Sure, he is still working, but in movies like Saw, The Final Chapter, or Saw, 3D, that Paul and I saw in theaters because <laughs> our friend Jim had never seen a 3D movie before, and I will never forgive him for making us sit through that. <laughs> he was also in I... <laughs> That was an awful experience.
1: The saw comes flying through the screen, oh
0: (laughs) man. I remember that Jim was like actually enjoying himself watching that movie (laughs) because he'd never seen 3D before. I was like, God damn you, Jim, of all the fucking things that we could have seen that were 3D, you want to go see Saw 3D. (laughs) But besides the fact, he was also in ICU with Sylvester Stallone, which is fucking awful, and Suicide Kings, again with Gigli alum Christopher Walken. In fact, of his 110 roles credited, I've only seen five, two of which are Boondock Saints movies, and none of the others are on my list. It's not even like a peripheral thing that he had like a supporting role in some random movie that I wanted to see, like literally nothing that this guy has been in is anywhere close to my sphere of wanting to watch. So anyway, Norman Reedus, on the other hand, is the Keanu Reeves of the duo to Sean's Alex Winter, so to speak, so if you can imagine that. Norman has less credits at 82, and he does, however, have a greater body of work. While the once great show The Walking Dead is his most well-known role besides Boondock Saints, he's also been in Ridley Scott's classic American Gangster. He is excellent in the 2005 serial killer thriller Antibodies, he's a lot of fun in Guillermo del Toro's rather excellent Blade 2* as Scud, as well as oh, Del, Toro. Yes, yeah, yeah you remember uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I really like Blade too. By the way, I, oh, I have a lot of fun watching fun. that movie. But he was also in Del Toro's movie Mimic, and is fun in the comedy stretch as well as Triple Nine from the Road director John Hillcoat. Side note: Triple Nine has. An absolutely insane, star-studded cast. Check it out. I think it's currently on Netflix right now. However, he has a lot of shit stains crossing his underoos. Deuces Wild, Hello Herman, Pawn Shop Chronicles, and the Vacation remake by the same name with Ed Helms. I don't even know if you knew that they had remade Vacation, Paul. Or... Of National
1: Lampoons.
0: Yes, of no. National Lampoons. I have not, and and they <laughs> <would> never. <laughs> And he was in 8mm with Left Behind alum Nicolas Cage. (laughs) Billy Connolly is an excellent comedian. That's what you should know about him. And that everyone should watch the 2005 documentary Fuck by director Steve Anderson. It's brilliant. On the feature side, he's lent his voice to Pixar's Brave. He perfectly embodied Dane in The Hobbit, The Battle of the Five Armies. Fuck you, Paul. I don't want to hear it. He's (laughs) He's great as Seb. As Seb in The Last Samurai with Tom Cruise, fuck you, Paul, I don't want to hear it, but the real coup de gras in his bag of more than 39 features is Fido, which he plays the lead character who is a zombie being taken care of as a pet. It's fucking fantastic, and I won't besmirch Billy by even bothering to talk about his bad movies, which most certainly do not contain Garfield, A Tale of Two Kitties, Beverly Hills Ninja, or Indecent Proposal. <laughs> Clifton Collins Jr. is the same way. He's an excellent actor who is in some bad shit. Check out Capote with the Oscar-winning performance of the late great Philip Seymour Hoffman, whom I miss every goddamn year, like every Oscar season. Wait, I miss who's that, this man. guy we're talking about? Clifton Collins Jr., the Mexican in this movie. Uh... Also check out Traffic from director Steven Soderbergh, The Last Castle with Robert Redford and the late James Gandolfini, Westworld on HBO, his two-episode role on the show Southland, which I will never shut the fuck up about. I will keep talking about that. (laughs) Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Waves, Menace to Society, Babel, Brothers, shout-out New Mexico Film, Dead Presidents, Pacific Rim, and Tigerland, as well as Sunshine Cleaning, shout-out New Mexico Film again. Oh, and Crank High Voltage. I don't give a shit if Crank High Voltage is lambasted by critics. It's one of the most entertaining action movies I've seen in years, so that's that. Julie Benz, who plays Willem Dafoe in this movie, I'm not joking, she plays Willem Dafoe in this movie, was in Dexter as Dexter's love interest. That's all I've seen from her, or give a shit about her in. She is also in a really small role in As Good As It Gets and is in Rambo from 2008, a.k.a. the movie where Stallone pops people like blood sausages, which I don't remember her in, actually. I think that she plays like one of the random people in that movie. She's one one of the missionaries who is trying to convince
1: Rambo that people are good and shouldn't be murdered all the time. It doesn't work. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, it doesn't work this leads us to peter fonda two-time oscar nominee peter fonda the late great peter fonda he's most well known for his tremendous work in easy writer shout out new mexico film but he's also in the excellent 310 to yuma with christian bale and russell Crowe, proud new mexico shout out the limey yuli's gold and the harvest with michael shannon I think it's awful that he was in House of Bodies with Terrence Howard, The Runner with Left Behind, Hamfest, Nicholas Cage, Ghost Rider, again with Nicolas Cage, and he was in Wild Hogs. Begrudging New Mexico film shout out. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, this movie was written by the Boston trash who was not raised in Boston nor was he born there known as Troy Duffy and his jerk off brother Taylor Duffy. I bring up where he was born and raised because this man came from means. His father was Harvard educated and made Troy as a child read the classics and give book reports on them. And his family would buy up hotels along the Connecticut and Maine coastline and renovate them. He was raised in a 7,500-square-foot house. He went to school in Southampton and New Hampshire. I say all this because there is an excellent documentary that anyone who is a fan of Boondock (laughs) Saints should watch. It's called Overnight, and it's available on Amazon. It shows just what a large type egotistical douchebag cunt that Troy Duffy is, screaming at his friends and family about how he is the best thing that has ever happened to Hollywood and how he should be worshipped for how fucking smart he is. See it. It offers perspective on why the second movie sucks so badly, and how Troy fucked up his career to the point he can't work outside of the Boondock Saints. He's directed only the two Boondock Saints movies and wrote a movie called Guest House that stars Pauly Shore, if that's worth anything. But <laughs> what you need to know about him is that he is an egotistical cockbag. Fuck you, Troy Duffy. I'll fucking fight you if I ever meet you. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. This movie was released on October 30th, 2009 in 524 theaters and was produced for $8 million, the same budget as the first movie. It opened in 14th place with a $546,687 weekend. Above it were the Coen brothers' A Serious Man in its fifth week, the hilarious Zombieland in its fifth week, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs in its seventh week. The awful Amelia Earhart biopic with the core alum Hilary Swank in its second week. The awful Cirque du Freak with Step Brothers alum John C. Riley in its second week. The awful remake of The Stepfather in its third week. Astro Boy. The terrible Saw 6 in its second week. The excellent but depressing Where the Wild Things Are in its third week in the number five spot. Couples Retreat. The stupid law-abiding citizen. The Hollywood Hackfest called Paranormal Activity in its sixth week. And finally, topping the U.S. box office this week was the Michael Jackson documentary that is proudly profiting off of Michael's death with its $23 million (laughs) opening weekend called This Is It. Out of the 14 movies I listed, 10 of them sucked. I don't know how the U.S. keeps eating up shit movies, but maybe coronavirus has reset that. Or not. I don't know. We'll see what happens when all this stops. Over its 428-day release schedule, Boondock Saints 2 would go on to make $10.273 million domestically and $356,000 worldwide, bringing its overall to $10.629 million, so barely breaking even with its shitty advertising campaign. But the
1: DVD sales, man.
0: Oh, hang on a second. On video, (laughs) this movie made an estimated 31.645 million up against the original's estimated 70 million dollar home video release. It did however make 337.14 times the amount of money that the original Boondock Saints made in theaters. So that's something. This gross makes Boondock Saints 2 the 5046th movie of all time at the domestic box office behind the 2009 Kate Beckinsale thriller Whiteout and ahead of the 2002 animated IMAX short Santa vs. the Snowman 3D. <laughs> yeah, and IMAX short is in the same area. What the fuck kind of company is that? Like, had you even heard of either one of those before I mentioned them, Paul? Whiteout or Santa? versus the snowman. Internationally, this movie ranks as the 11,424th box office record holder of all time behind the 2018 Argentinian drama The Quietude, but ahead of the 2012 German-Norwegian drama Two Lives with the excellent Liv Ullman the country that responded the least to this pile of vomit outside of a bar in Boston was Japan with its $68,906 opening. As you might remember from our episode 29 podcast, The Island of Dr. Moreau, the highest grossing movie of all time in Japan was 2001 Spirited Away by anime maestro Hayao Miyazaki, with a 30.8 billion yen gross, equivalent of 252.8 million US dollars. At an average cost of 1,266 yen per ticket in 2009, or $12.83 American, that brings total Japanese asses and seats to 5,370.69 people saw this movie opening weekend in Japan. God damn it. So close to seeing Camille again, man. We haven't had a partial <laughs> amputee on any of these for a while.
2: What what Just, constitutes a partial amputee?
0: Well, we have a point two five person, a point five person, and a point seven five person. Oh, Every but once no point
2: no six nine.
0: Yeah, point six nine is... Uh, That's unfortunate. I should have come up with some sort of 69-ing joke for that. With a population of 128 million people in 2009, that means that 4.196 one-hundred-thousandths of Japan's population made it out to hear two Irish drunks yell fuck and homophobic and racial (laughs) slurs at each other in 2009. The Boondock Saints 2 has a middling 6.3 out of 10 on IMDB with 61,468 votes. A 24. Oh, hey,
1: that's one of the highest ratings uh, I think we've done so far.
0: On well, IMDb. Besides <laughs> well, besides Avatar. besides <laughs> Avatar. It also has a 24 on Metacritic and a splatty 23% on RottenTomatoes.com with a 58% audience sc- score. He didn't make it for the critics, Gabe. Yeah, well, that's obvious. <laughs> Compare this with the original's 28% critic score and 91% audience score. And the writing is clearly on the wall. Boondock Saints 2 is dead on arrival with the critics, as is the original, and a one-time wonder with audiences. So why is dickhead Duffy trying so hard to make a fucking prequel series? He's trying to turn this into a fucking TV show. (sighs) I don't know why.
1: (laughs) Well, he's got nothing else he can do. Yeah. Yeah.
0: By the way, the documentary that I spoke of earlier called Overnight, it has a 78% on Rotten Tomatoes and is certified (laughs) fresh. Anyway, this Metacritic score puts Boondock Saints 2 in the same league as episode 38's movie called Kazam, episode 33's movie called Step Brothers, and episode 15's movie called Hollow Man. This movie ranks highest amongst. Let's let Caitlin choose this one real quick. Who do you think this movie ranks highest amongst, Caitlin?
2: 40-year-old white men.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Believe it or not, it's females aged 18 to 29 with a 7.2 out of 10. And lowest amongst.
2: I have to guess lowest too? Yep. I would say like 30-year-old women.
0: Males aged less than 18 with a 6.0 out of 10. This is one of those weird movies that we've come across, Paul, where it's like the absolute opposite of whatever demographic that we thought might actually respond to this fucking thing. But this week I am fucking, fucking, fuck, 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 fucking, fucking, fucked by the 6,451 people or 10.5% of the voters who rated this movie a perfect fucking 10 best movie ever made on IMDb. My vote stands with the 3.1% or 1,934 others who rated this as a perfect 1 on IMDB. My reviews this week begin with Stephen Cole from Globe and Mail. Stephen empties his five thousand round clip with quote. Imagine Quentin Tarantino if he got his brow lowered. End quote. Original score two <laughs> out of five stars. Marianne Johansson of Flick Philosopher inebriates quote. Riotously awful and simultaneously vile. This orgy of sexualized violence with no point has no point except to give itself something to jerk off to. End quote. <laughs> Original score, zero out of five <laughs> stars. My last favorite review is a little longer, but it comes from my favorite critic, Roger Ebert. Ebert screams. "Their guns they typically use while leaping in slow motion off concealed trampolines while firing at the camera. <laughs> if, they, if they jump side by side, does it make it harder for the enemies to miss at least one? Can you fly forward through the air while firing two heavy-duty handguns without your arms jerking back and smacking you in the chin? Would that violate one of Newton's laws? Just asking. There's a lot of pious Roman Catholic iconography, though no one except the beloved executed priest ever goes into a church for purposes other than being murdered. The lads are loyal to the church in the same way their fans are loyal to duh bears. They aren't players themselves, but It's their team and don't mess with it. They do hold a quasi-religious ceremony, standing in a circle with a pal and vowing to never, ever stop smoking or drinking or attend an (laughs) AA meeting. Drinking doesn't bother them anyway. They chug whiskey like Gatorade. The only thing that bothers them, and they're super sensitive about this, is the slightest suggestion that they're gay, end quote. (laughs) Original score, one out of four stars. Lastly, this week we examined the director's cut of The Boondock Saints 2, All Saints Day, and it is an arduous 138 minutes long, 20 minutes longer than the theatrical version, and is rated R for bloody violence, language, and some nudity. Oh God, that's why it was so long. Jesus, yes. I was sitting
1: there like, <laughs> when the fuck is this going to end? It just keeps going. Okay, it's the director's cut. It's All the
0: right. director's cut, Yeah. You can see how self-serving it is and self-masturbatory it is, too. So, Paul, Ted Williams stands on second base. The 30-year-old left fielder from San Diego stands at 6 foot 3 inches tall. You see, Paul, Teddy here is going to give us all a lesson in self-control for the good of the team, as in why Troy Duffy could have had self-control for the good of society and not made this movie. Anyway. The 205-pound veteran of World War II stands in Fenway Park as the home team of the Sox take on the Philadelphia Athletics in a day game on September 11th, 1948. Before anyone asks, I'm not gonna make a 9-11 joke comparing what is about to happen to 9-11 as some sort of massive tragedy. I would literally strain my back from such low hanging fruit. 21,415 fans sit in the 57.4% full park. September in Boston yields a beautiful sunny day punctuated by intermittent clouds. A crack from the bat of teammate Billy Goodman snaps Teddy out of his daydreaming. The ball grounds directly to shortstop Eddie Juiced of the Phillies. As Teddy sees this occur, he decides, fuck it. I fucking can make a fucking run on the fucking home plate and steal some fucking bases in this fucker. Yes, Troy, I am making fun of your dialogue and of Rocco. Fuck you. As Teddy runs, Juiced makes the play and grabs the ball, but somehow the ball travels up his glove, up his fucking sleeve, and ends up in the inside back of his shirt. Juice frantically rips and swats at his body and back, trying desperately to remove the ball as if a swarm of bees has attacked the six-foot-tall string bean righty from San Francisco. Teddy keeps running but slows down as he sees this drama unfold. Juice keeps up the funky chicken as he finally resorts to ripping his shirt tails out of his pants to loosen the ball. His tail's untucked, the errant ball drops to his feet. And here we find dear Teddy. You see, rather than Teddy control himself and easily steal the bases ahead of him to put the socks up, he stopped near third to watch eagerly the drama before him, laughing hysterically at the absurdity of the event. As Joost finishes his jig, he sees the in tears with laughter Teddy hanging out without a care in the world. Teddy has forgotten himself and forgotten to run the 90 feet to home base. Juice later recalled quote I picked up the ball and ran over to third base and shook the ball in Teddy's face and yelled at him okay goddamn you you can run now End quote you see Teddy could have chosen to do the smart thing and run the run but instead he decided to laugh and indulge his worst impulses rather than bring home the run losing out on the point just like Troy Duffy <laughs> we flash back in time Paul to the plate as you stand in the shoes of Philly's pitcher Joel Coleman it's the bottom of the sixth as you see Billy Goodman on the mound. It's been a no-hitter game thus far for you, Paul. You've been pitching like a madman. So what's the worst that could happen? Just then, you wind up and you pitch this motherfucker to me, Paul.
1: I'm Troy Duffy. If
0: you don't know, I'm the greatest fucking filmmaker
1: that's ever lived. And I'm responsible for the greatest movie ever written and directed <laughs> and edited, by the way. <laughs> Boondock Saints, okay? I made that movie despite... Everyone in Hollywood trying to stop me. Even <laughs> Harvey Weinstein, that fucking asshole, you know. He he invited me up to his hotel room, but you know you know what? It it's fine. And <laughs> don't cry. Don't cry. Men don't cry. Don't cry. <laughs> Nothing happened. Doesn't it's matter fine. what happened. Nothing happened. Okay, okay. So we're gonna make we're gonna make this this movie that's totally not gay in any <laughs> way. Nothing ever happened in the hotel room, I swear to God. <laughs> Totally okay. not It's called Doc Saints Two. Sure. And we're gonna make the same movie again. <laughs> but longer. And with the same number of people in it. Great. It's gonna be amazing. Great. Because goddamn I am so good. I am so Sounds good. Sounds like it.
0: Sounds like it, yeah. yeah.
1: And we're gonna have even more homophobic <laughs> and racist remarks in this movie because that's that's what the people want. Yeah, you know, I know, I know what people want. Unlike these fucking losers in Hollywood, <laughs> who think they can just watch marketing data and all this shit. I know because I come from the streets. Okay, okay, okay. I, I'm a bouncer in a bar because sure. I forgot to put in a little piece in my contract that gave me uh, rights <laughs> to the DVD sales uh, of Moonlighting. So. <laughs> Uh yeah, this time yeah. I'm not gonna do that. There's gonna be a deal <laughs> where I actually make money on the movie this time. I'm round because okay. I'm goddamn good. All right, and it's gonna make
0: millions, hundreds, sure. hundreds of millions. <laughs> because it's the best movie ever, as I understand. Yeah.
1: It. I mean, it's gonna be twice the movie that Boondock Saints was.
2: Okay. That's why it's called Two
1: Double yeah. Double all trouble. Saints <laughs> All Saints Day Double Trouble. Oh. <laughs>
0: Great, great, great! How much you need for this fucking thing? Because uh, you know, Troy, I gotta tell you, man, I haven't, I haven't seen you in over ten years. And the last time that I saw you, you told me to go fuck myself and that I was <laughs> cunt. So, how much money you want for this thing? Uh, I think thirty million should cover nope, it. No, nope, I'm sorry, uh, I can't do thirty million. You stupid
1: fuck you uh, piece of shit! Calm down. Give me the fucking thirty million dollars. What happened with Harvey right. Weinstein?
0: You want to explain no! that? I don't then to I'm only gonna me. get. Then I'm only gonna give you Aider, right? All Calm right. down. Fine. Be grateful for what you got.
1: Just don't make me cry, all right? I just want to
0: cry. Fuck out of my office, tough yeah. guy. <laughs> so, Paul, had you had you seen this before? No, I don't think I have, actually. Okay. So, give me. I remember. Me... I remember it
1: came out, and you went to see it, and you're like, right. "God damn it!" So, I decided that it wasn't worth my time.
0: <laughs> okay. So. Give me your opinion first off on the first one. How do you feel about the first one before you go into this? You know, I haven't watched it in a long time.
1: When I saw it in college, it was very entertaining. I feel like if I watched it again today, I would kind of be like, oh, that's, uh hasn't aged well. You know, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. But uh, it's been a long time. And right. when I did watch it, I enjoyed it for being okay. kind of dumb. But fun movie. Yeah.
0: So. Uh, yeah, it is. All right. So uh, I'm gonna jump to you in a second, Caitlin. But how did you feel about this movie when you saw it? God damn it! Besides it, it being really just, fucking long.
1: Yeah, it was really boring, and yeah, the the homophobic and racist remarks just kept coming, <laughs> and. <laughs>
0: Uh, non-stop in this movie yeah and And this was 2009 which is the most strange thing about that is that it it kind of flew back in 99 when the first movie was released because like they we still hadn't had that sort of conversation in america yet or rather we weren't beginning those conversations and like in 2009 it just seems extremely late for this kind of shit which i find really fucking weird about this movie never gonna change Never
2: nope. change. <laughs> I'd also argue that the second one had more slurs. That's how I them. feel.
1: I don't remember it being so homophobic and racist. Yeah, in the first movie, but it's
0: been a long time. I mean, time since Caitlin I've just rewatched the first one today in preparation for this. After watching the second one with me a couple of days ago or whatever it was. So let's jump to you, Caitlin. First of all, how did you feel about the first movie?
2: Um, it's definitely one of my favorite movies. I think for me, there's a nostalgia element to it. It reminds me while you were in college, I was in high school. Um,
1: you calling me we, on.
2: <laughs> we um, we would do movie nights with my friends, and this was one of the movies that we'd watch over and over again. So I just remember watching it with my friends. But I, I do enjoy the story. I mean, I agree it's completely entertaining. It's not trying to be anything it's not in the first one. Yeah. And and some parts of it are still hilarious. So I don't know if I would say it holds up, but there's still an element of joy in watching it.
0: Yeah. So when when we had seen this movie, when I took you to go see this movie because I knew that Boondock Saints is one of your favorites, I know that I got your reaction back then, but give me your reaction after watching it a second time. Oh, it's
2: awful. It goes on forever, <laughs> as Paul has already established. I'm pretty sure even just the regular one goes on forever, not just the director's cut yeah and this one tries way too hard what's the lady's name who's trying to be schmecker
0: Julie Benz
2: yeah that just doesn't work at all (laughs) <laughs> on so many for so many reasons
0: she's one of the reasons that this movie sucks so terribly like julie ben single-handedly fucks up anything that could have been interesting in this movie because she's so fucking bad in this goddamn thing like it's kind of incredible yeah, actually I, watching her performance the the whole
1: scene that it opens with the three detectives i guess they're supposed to be the three stooges
0: right and they're the, in the first their one dialogue
1: dude. and they're acting in this one is just horrendous yeah I'm not sure if maybe better actors could have pulled it off with the dialogue that they were giving. But right. they're just awful. And then she comes into the scene and it just gets worse. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so being objective, Paul, what would you give this out of 10 stars? A two. What kept it I mean, from being a one for you? A one. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. There's
1: some fun violence at some point i suppose <laughs> the cinematography is not horrendous and it, i think if they leaned into the camp more it could uh-huh. have been better like if they try they set out to knowingly make a bad movie <laughs> like troy duffy's ego wasn't so heavy this could have been a campy and more fun movie
0: right so maybe if you edited it a little bit you could get a better movie out of this <laughs> Like, edit out the Three Stooges would be a good place to start? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Maybe if I were
1: 20 years younger, this would be a great movie. I don't
0: know. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, man. I feel like even when I was 14, I had better taste than this. Like, this is pretty fucking horrendous on a lot of levels. And gay jokes uh... and Mexican jokes. Those are funny when you're, like, 14. (laughs) (laughs) So... Caitlin, out of ten stars, what would you give this as your gut reaction?
2: No, I would give it a two as well.
0: Yeah, it did, it wasn't quite a one for you.
2: No, there is some character development with the father and his long lost friend. That wasn't great, but there is an effort there.
1: <laughs> Wait, See, is his long lost friend the
0: other assassin hitman guy or is
2: that- the guy, the creator?
0: Yeah, it's the uh, the Roman, the guy he goes to at the end in order to chat it up in his... Uh, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's the longest,
1: his long lost friend. Yeah. Extremely long shootout thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. The yeah. angel's wings fall off the statue. <laughs>
0: wow, what imagery. Yeah, yeah. So, anyway, jumping into this, Paul, I, I hate the goddamn melodramatic voiceover and the unmotivated camera moves when Rocco is walking into the church. Like set against an even more melodramatic choral hymn, right? And it's 10 fucking cuts in less than a minute just to get him to the fucking front door of the goddamn church, right? This is like a really bad MTV music video. Like, just no place, no geography, just a bunch of cuts and a bunch of movement. This is like Michael Bay type shit, and it pisses me off. because What was the, the
2: Im- point? What was the point of that opening scene with Rocco?
0: Walking into the church? It was like giving him like a, an, a coda, so to speak, of like from the first movie because he just dies on the floor in that fucking shitty back room. And so this was giving him like some sort of coda in order to like set, him, set up the movie and also make us feel at home because it's Rocco.
2: But I, I remember that he's dead. So I'm wondering, what's the point? Why is he here? Is he alive again? <laughs> I don't is this know. gonna be a zombie movie maybe that would
0: have been better <laughs> that would have been better yeah. i would have liked to have seen zombie rocco that would have been good but also like where are these trolley tracks that rocco walks down in boston like i'm not overly familiar with boston but i've been there a couple of times and i don't remember these anywhere in downtown boston and that's besides the point because this movie was shot in canada it wasn't shot anywhere close no, to boston love and that's like one of the worst things about it actually is it's just yeah they have generic
1: like downtown ish shots but yeah nothing really distinguishing it feels like
0: canada i feel (laughs) besides the fact and what the fuck is with his line that this is all just coffee house bullshit what exactly is coffee house bullshit like i don't i don't understand this line at all like do people sit around in a coffee shop like talking shit to each other all day is that Is that what he's trying to say? Like just a bunch of bravado? We need a
1: real Boston person to come tell
0: us the answer. I guess it's true. I should have called a couple Boston friends and asked them about coffee house bullshit. But speaking of coffee houses, Paul, this leads me to my sandwich beef of the week. I'm going to jump into it early this week. Shit. There was a really famous cafe diner called Jackson Hole in Jackson Heights, Astoria, Queens. Right? You may recognize it from the scene in Goodfellas at the beginning, where we meet adult Ray Liotta. It's the first scene that Ray Liotta's in, as the truck driver goes in to get a bite to eat, and Ray and Joe Pesci steal the trailer near the beginning of the movie. So anyway. It's that chromed out diner that's like supposedly by the airport, which it is, it's close to LaGuardia. But one day, as I'm working on Bull Season One, that awful, awful show, we are at the diner at six AM building a lighting rig in the ceiling. So, the kitchen crew is there, and they're prepping, and they ask us rather graciously if we want breakfast. I accept, as do the other guys, as I am starving, and they queue up their menu. <laughs> Wait a second,
1: Gabe. Are you going to shit on a free breakfast?
0: Yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs>
1: All right.
0: They are famous for their burgers, and I think, fuck it, burger time knows no bounds, man. I'm gonna do it. 6 a.m., have a burger, fuck it. And I order the Wyoming burger, right? Simple, barbecue sauce and bacon with a couple onion rings on top. I ask them for rare as I usually like it, and 10 minutes later, bam, a fucking huge burger that's half a pound sits in front of me on the counter. I finish my task at hand and sit down to eat with the fellas and bite into it. Let me tell you something. It could have been great had it not been that apparently rare at Jackson Hole means raw. You know when you first start grilling a burger patty, paw on the griddle and it turns gray before it starts browning, right? It gets that little gray yeah. tone in yeah. it. It's so that, that was the patty. It was gray on all sides, half a pound of gray cold meat. <laughs> it had the texture of mashed potatoes, and I gag <sighs> instantaneously and spit it back out. I let the guys finish as I asked for a box to go and pack it up, explaining that I wasn't hungry yet, but I'll save it for lunch. While I did this to be courteous and accepting- Do
1: you you order a rare burger everywhere you go? Because I don't trust 90% of places to make me a rare
0: burger. I mean, yeah, I I order rare at basically every place that I get a burger.
2: That's how he knows whether it's a good restaurant.
0: Um, Yeah, I can taste the meat, you know, and if the meat's worth (laughs) the shit. It
1: does give you uh, some material later on, I suppose, when they- <laughs>
0: i <Right up. laughs> <laughs> But while I did do this to be courteous and accepting around the guys who were clearly enjoying their burgers, mine found its way into the garbage at the stage when we moved out of there in a couple of hours. I don't want to belabor the point, but while it was presumptive of me to order a burger at 6am, cooked meat knows no time. You have to fucking cook the burger patty, Jackson Hole. I say it quietly this week and with respect. Go fuck yourself for that indiscretion. This action felt to me like I was Joe Pesci walking into an empty club with Vinny and Frankie, completely blindsided at 6 (laughs) a.m. Try again, Jackson Hole. Until next time, go fuck yourself. So, Paul, jumping back into this, do do good Irish boys ride horses and herd sheep, like, while wearing the same jacket <laughs> with the same hair, while lighting cigarettes in unison? Apparently that's what people do in Ireland. I'm confused by this. Do,
1: I don't know. They got sod and, <laughs> and rocks. So, yeah, sheep.
0: So... <laughs> Let me, let me ask it from a more female perspective, Caitlin. Do you think that this was more... There's a lot of this movie that I feel is very... It's trying to profit on the sex factor of these two men and like make them look sexy or something like that whether it's the long hair and the rugged guys or the shirtless very homoerotic shower scene which is strange right at the beginning of this movie i
2: know i found it less i found them less attractive in this version than than the first one
0: is it because sean patrick flannery looks like he's an aging alcoholic
2: (laughs) well i was it was also i don't know it was just weird was this before or after Brokeback mountain
0: this was after. This was yeah, five feel years. Yeah, like I they're or trying to like. After Broke Back.
2: It's just a weird connection.
0: It's funny that you say that because uh, Roger Ebert, in his review, was talking about this exact opening scene and he said he called them Broke Back Bachelors, which I thought was pretty good. Anyway, so why is the voiceover in this movie written like it's supposed to be like Faulkner or something? It's very overly poetic and like insight and talking about inciting events and like.
2: This is where you get Trey Duffy's ego. Right? Because he did have some profound moments in the first one, especially with the opening scene talking about the indifference of good men. And so he's trying to like. Establish that? I don't. He's he thinks it's already established, and he can just do whatever he wants at this point. He's trying to like coast on like what was created in like the the glimmers of like logic from the first boondock scenes. But
0: yeah, I guess I could see that. Yeah, just trying to be an extension. Yeah, it's that sort of self importance that he has Mm -hmm. about himself that this material is so good that people should be like fucking honored. That he's like spitting his words out at them or whatever the fuck. One of the biggest things that I hate in this movie is the shitty stage lighting and flash cuts that are all over this movie, like cutting in oh, yeah, scenes of the other movie. And I'm like, I saw the first movie. I don't need to be reminded <laughs> of the first movie. Like I fucking saw it. And to just do that, it just drags down the whole goddamn enterprise. It was like enterprise. 10 years ago. Like, yeah, it was 10 years prior to this movie. You know, Paul, after seeing the movie Spotlight, how do I know that this priest wasn't a diddler? Like Spotlight was all about diddling priests in Boston. <sighs> is there, this guy gets shot in the back of the head.
1: Is it possible
0: to think about a
1: priest anymore without it being connected <laughs> with pedophilia in some fashion? Every, I can't anymore. It's like, oh, I can't priest, either. you know, in, in every movie, anytime it's mentioned on the news, right. they're like, oh, yeah, this great priest, he, he helped me out and got me off drugs. And he's like, oh, did he diddle you too?
2: No, just your son.
1: And, and, and it's sad. It's sad, really. But, uh, yeah, there you go. That's where we live right now.
0: This yeah, place. that's the place that we are, yeah. <laughs> Father McFeely and his private patent. Oh, wait, was 2009,
1: oh. like, pre-diddling or post-diddling?
2: Post. I think post-diddling. Yeah,
0: post okay. okay. I think the big break was, like, in 2005 or 2006 that they broke that story in Boston, something like that. Yeah. So, yeah, this is post-diddling. So why would the Irish priest travel all the way out to see them to tell them about the priest in Boston, right? Like, he drives up and, like, runs in <laughs> in, in the middle of the night and it's raining. Like, uh, this isn't the 15th century. Like, these motherfuckers have Google, surely. Maybe,
1: maybe they just, I mean, that... Cabin looks pretty rustic that they're living in.
2: With the the like campfire stove inside that looks like you're in Skyrim? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
1: They're <laughs> off the grid, man. All
0: right. This so, the real
1: deal life.
2: And you know. then they have to use the, the sheep shears to cut their hair. They don't have clippers <laughs> right. or anything.
0: Right. So I'll buy that for a second, but I'll ask, so the way that they reveal the boys are called back to Boston is that a bad guy kills a priest in the same way that the boys would have killed someone, right? But given the high profile nature of the killings in the first movie and the fact that they did it in front of a fucking audience and they showed (laughs) their entire face and everything... This yeah. wasn't a secret as to how the, the to call the boys out, right? Like, everybody knew that this was the boys' MO and how they did it and shit like that. So I'm honestly surprised that it took 10 fucking years for someone to call them out. Like, especially since crime hasn't stopped in Boston in these last 10 years since the first movie. If, if anything, it's increased, you know what I mean? I mean,
1: people seem to have a reverence in this universe for the Boondock Saints. And so no one dared think of doing it until until now
0: especially the mafia since they killed the mafia boss in the first right? movie okay so i guess i could buy that but <laughs> you know the suit up montage to music this is the thing that really bothers me is that troy duffy picks these music selections in this movie that fucking suck man like the first yeah. movie has pretty decent music but like this one it just has the worst fucking like heavy metal tracks and like weird irish tracks and shit it's like it's like somebody tried to do a flogging molly album, but they had ten bucks to do it, and they recorded it in their garage. Like it's fucking terrible. No,
1: and and he also recycles a lot of the like late nineties techno right. kind of tracks. So- for all yeah, of the yeah. the action scenes and i'm like Man, come on <laughs> 2009 you could do better than this
0: yeah for sure but no
1: he can't
0: i mean he doesn't even okay so like one of the cheapest bands to license music from is an irish band called afro Celt sound system right and fucking martin scorsese <laughs> martin scorsese made them famous by having several of their tracks in fucking gangs of new york right uh, it's like yeah. traditional and kind of like techno, but also kind of like more you know contemporary or whatever. It's mm-hmm. weird. It's a lot of oversampling, but at, Troy Duffy surely could have afforded Afro Keld Sound System during this movie. I mean, I mean this
1: was uh, after Scorsese got in with them, and so they raised
0: their rates
1: and could afford <laughs> it on his eight million bucks or whatever. Right, but you know, you know, honestly, I will. I will speak to. If this you say this was eight million dollars to make this movie, is that right? Yeah, eight million. I mean that like the production value for eight million bucks in two thousand nine. I mean that's pretty decent. I mean all the set pieces. I mean how many squibs do they fire off in this movie? Those are like hundred dollars each, right?
0: See, I find this movie yeah. being, like significantly less violent than the first one. Like, there's a lot of violence lacking in this movie, in my yeah. Opinion. I
1: mean, they couldn't uh, afford the gore effects, but they couldn't I
2: mean, shoot another yeah. cat. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I forgot about the cat. Yeah, I, I forgot about and that, too, yeah. until you
0: were rewatching it today. And I was like, oh, right, the cat.
1: Yeah, I forgot that's about why that. why I like this oh, I yeah. absolutely love animals.
2: Uh, they should never be harmed. But that is my favorite scene in the movie.
0: <laughs> when he's screaming at her, what's the cat's name, bitch?
2: And then when he follows up, is it dead? Like, that's just like... <laughs> <laughs>
0: pretty good and see like even though we haven't seen or i haven't seen that movie in forever and neither of you paul like we're still laughing about it remembering it there is nothing in this movie that i will remember other than the anger that i felt towards something you know (laughs) which is fucking sad man yeah it's sad but you know during the suit up montage sequence bro like one thing that really bothers me is that they're shearing their hair with shears right and it's you know rustic whatever the fuck Shows that they're rough and tumble guys, but when they walk in, they're clean cut, clean cut, like perfect $80 barber or whatever. (laughs) I was like, with shears, (laughs) really? Okay, sure. It's pretty good. Get myself a pair of sheep shears, apparently. But uh, one, one of the things that he does filmically that sucks the air out of this right away is that when they fade to black and they fade up the logo, right, like Boondock Saints 2 All Saints Day, and they use this weird, like, dissonant tone from, like, a guitar being faded out, and it, it completely sucks any energy out that was in the previous scene. It's just, like, it's like, like a deflating fart, you know, like, it just doesn't work. Not to mention when the... they're
1: when they're like digging up their guns and everything like that. I'm like, how are they going to get that through customs? But then the next scene answers that because they're, right. the they're on the like, boat. Oh, they still do need to go through now. a
0: port, though. You know what I mean? Like a port of entry, and the it port of entry is. of Boston is actually a lot stricter than other ports of entry. The one that they should have gone through if they were actually going to try to get this shit through is they should have gone to New Jersey, where they clearly <laughs> fucking look the other way on a lot of shit. But Boston, Boston's pretty strict on that, man, especially after the whole, you know, terrorist incident that happened in Boston. They kind of closed up real tight when it came to, like, internal criminal activity, mm-hmm. especially at people coming in from other countries. Because Boston is, been recently actually, named the number one racist city in America, which is fucking what? absolutely stunning.
1: <laughs> you know, that is a hard crown to achieve. Yeah. I'm surprised There's a lot of Boston. competition
2: there. There is a lot
1: yeah. of competition yeah, yeah, I'm surprised. <laughs> Good job, Boston. Good job, Boston. Jesus.
2: (laughs) How the fuck
1: did they beat out every city in the South? I don't know. I was
0: was literally just seeing this the other day. I was like, wow, Boston, really? Okay, sure.
2: But I think this is the problem with the Northeast is that everyone assumes they don't have a racist problem and so it goes unchecked because they can't be racist because they're in the north you know they they were on the good side of the the civil war Um, (laughs) and but in the south they've had to i mean and clearly no one has done in this country but they've had to reckon with it a little bit more and it's more blunt and like people are like oh yeah you're definitely racist i'm not going to go near you whereas in the north it's like (laughs) You don't know until someone has like a microaggression that exposes this horrible belief, or I don't know, but then, right. then it's you're caught so off guard. It's like, do I correct this person or not? I,
0: I mean, I've told you before that I've had some strange interactions in the film industry where I just kind of stopped and I was like, wait, what fucking city am I in? Like, this <stuff> is a really <laughs> racist. It's like that thing that Dave Chappelle said when, uh, god damn, you right? <laughs> yeah, god damn. So, question on the first. The Saints execute a mob boss in front of everyone in the courtroom of people, right? And they disappeared without a trace back to Ireland. Sure. Even if it was pre-9-11, which it was, 1999, it's now 2009. And how do they get back to Boston in a post-9-11 society after, cre- after doing such a public fucking execution? <laughs> yeah.
1: Everyone who sees them is like, holy shit, you're the Saints. Yeah, yeah. I don't know somehow they they knew someone who worked at the docks and got them around customs and all that
0: shit maybe I mean, this is like the feels super- like that's plausible you know? but... maybe this is like the superman thing you know like if they just put on a pair of glasses they might be a different person they'll be like oh shit who are
1: you you know
0: but I'm dude if they do kept you... the beards
1: and everything it would have been harder to spot Well, oh, they talked about that
0: right
2: and then, uh, yeah, oh, they and then they followed it up with wanting to dye the hair blonde, and there were some weird gay jokes with
0: that homophobic yeah. shit. Yeah. Oh yeah, gay jokes. Okay. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <sighs> uh, so, the is Irish... that how
1: every every awkward moment in this movie ends up? It's like no homo. Yeah. Pretty yeah. much.
0: It's, it's just... exactly that. Yeah. It's either a gay I joke. I don't know where to go with
1: this in the script. Gay joke. Yeah, okay. it's either a gay we'll joke,
0: gay. gay panic, or a racial joke in order to get out of awkward moments in this script. Like, that's all <laughs> Troy Duffy knows how to do in order to get out of it. But, but dude, all right,
1: remind me, you guys watched the, the original just yes. the other day. Is that as prevalent in that one?
2: No, and it's weird. So there, the one notable part is when Rocco is, he's the funny man. And so he's he's at the mob boss and he's bringing him the, the sandwich and he wants, the boss wants him to tell him a joke because he's the funny man. And, uh throughout the entire joke Rocco's not trying to it's about Mexicans and, and black people and white people and Rocco's trying not to say the n-word but the boss keeps pressuring him to say it so even that's like naming like hey maybe people should think about saying this word like yeah it's funny but there's also like more of a message behind it than right. in this right and yeah okay. it's like, I
0: remember that yeah they just throw around spic nonstop in this movie, which yes. I find highly offensive. So one of the biggest <laughs> things that this movie puts on display is toxic masculinity, right? And like during this time <laughs> period in 2009, we actually had like that phrase for it. Like we kind of actually defined it as we were going into the new millennium and it was like very much part of the conversation during this time period, but they just showcase it. Like you could show this movie and be like that, That's toxic masculinity. And you would teach somebody without ever having to see another example what toxic masculinity looks like, right? But these boys are like constantly like bare knuckle boxing and fighting each other. And then we end up like meeting Clifton Curtis Jr., right, during this scene. And he leans into this stereotype of being a Mexican, right? (laughs) And I'm like, dude, okay, so this movie was written by a white boy. And to have a white guy give you a script like this as a person of color, I would be like, fuck, no. Are you <laughs> kidding me? Like, god damn it. Yeah.
1: But one of sometimes the most. sometimes you just need to get paid uh,
0: well one of the most offensive lines in this movie isn't even related necessarily to a racial slur it's when Clifton Collins says Mexicans like pain bro Tabasco sauce what kind of fucked up people invent that kind of shit right Tabasco sauce if you don't know wasn't Mexican, invented in Mexico god damn it it was <laughs> invented by Edward McElhinney in 1868, and he was not Mexican. He was from Maryland, and he was living in Louisiana. Not to mention, Tabasco sauce isn't hot. Fuck you, Troy Duffy, for this stupid line just trying to they, lump it on the Mexicans. Know, they,
1: they own their own island in Louisiana, and that's where tabasco? they grow the Chiles, Yeah, and uh, hmm. they have all their age. You know, I've come to—I used to hate Tabasco, but I've come to appreciate it a little more— yeah. Just for their process and everything. God like damn that. you! You've been Paul. living away God from the Southwest
2: me. for too long. Uh,
1: yeah, it's hard. It's hard. I did. I did just make a bunch of green chili sauce and can all of that uh, okay. yesterday.
0: Good. Oh, Good. I, I, I haven't. Listen.
1: I haven't lost everything, but. <laughs> It's hard living away from New Mexico. But I how can you guys talk? Whatever. You're talking shit. All right. Living in New York.
0: You know? Dude, I got green chili and red chili coming out of my ass in the freezer. Uh, I put, I just I, put green chili this morning on our breakfast food, man. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> This leads us to I I want to talk about Julie Benz, right? Because this introduces us to Julie Benz and Julie Benz slow motion walks up to the three stooges while wearing fuck me pumps and stockings like it's a scene out of a parody of the first movie. I know they're trying to play this for laughs, but the music sucks and so does the acting. And if they cut all of the slow mo in this movie, the 138 minute director's cut would be (laughs) 90 minutes long. I swear it's like nonstop.
1: Remind me, the three detectives are in the original movie. Is that yes, right? yes. Right. Were they that bad in the original? No, I mean, they were stupid.
2: Yeah, but was, they were more of a, like there are more jokes about them. Like Green Beans would always have to go get the coffee whenever he made a mistake or a donut or whatnot. And uh,
0: yeah, because Willem Dafoe was constantly abusing him yeah. in that movie, which was good. That was a funny. <laughs> making fun of Keystone cops but you know even even in the artifice of it like her walking up to these guys when they do the low the low camera angle showing her heels and shit like that she's walking cross step as she's walking toward them as if she's on a fucking runway and I'm like dude normal people don't walk (laughs) like that number one and number two if this woman is such a fucking badass at her job to her having to over-sexualize herself constantly, number one sounds like, or looks like a fucking parody and looks like a joke, but it also, like, undercuts anything about the character because it's just, like, she can just ooze sexuality on her own without having to do all this over-the-top bullshit and, like, constantly talk like she's about to go to the bedroom in, like, a low-breathy voice all the time. I hate that shit.
1: Now, my first impression... During her opening scene where, you know, it's like the slow pan up on her legs. was like, oh, she slept with the director to get this role. That may be debasing, but that's the first thought that came to my mind.
0: I don't know. (laughs) Because the camera is constantly eye-fucking her in this movie? Yeah. Yeah. But this... It's a big problem. This
2: introduction is contrasted with one of the introductions in the first one. Before they introduce the movie, they're working in the meatpacking industry and they have to train this woman and they bring up the rule of thumb and then she corrects them with the rule right. of thumb. So it's just like the, a complete contrast of, of sexism in the first one compared right. to this one.
0: And then the woman in the first one, doesn't she like beat the Christ oh, out yeah. of the two boys or something? <laughs> yeah, that's right.
2: <laughs> what the but hell happened?
1: Know, he just like doubled down on his his side after this George is, Bush's
2: Paul? presidency. Uh, okay.
0: Yes. <laughs> you know what this is, Paul? This is this is this is this is the beginning of the Trump era. Is this movie, you know what I mean? Like they They just got Obama, and Obama had been in office for a year, and that this fucking guy was like, Oh, I hate this shit, blah, 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 blah. I'm Irish, I have a right to be racist and sexist and blah, 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 blah. So he just created this fucking thing, and it just pisses me off. Because I'm like, part of Irish culture that is really interesting is like, their deference toward other people they're unusually kind even though i mean maybe this is being like overly generous or whatever toward all irish people or you know labeling them as something that they're not but like i find them to be enormously kind and enormously respectful but they can get really rowdy when you touch the wrong subject. You know what I mean? But like, they aren't just over the top, throw racism and sexism around all the time type shit. I mean, even in The Guard, like that movie with uh, Don Cheadle and uh, fucking Brendan (laughs) Gleeson, like his racist remarks come out of context. You know what I mean? Like something contextually happens and then he makes it a racist comment. But like, he doesn't just drop racist comments for no reason. And that just makes fucking Irish people look like they're from, I don't know, know Alabama you know what I mean I'm like god damn dude it's pretty fucking like Swift with that racist comment but Julie Benz I want to talk about her accent for a second right like she says that she's from Savannah Georgia but her accent is terrible and if she was still a recruit in Quantico as she says right how would she be appointed to be a lead investigator on a federal murder case like no agent even as smart as she supposedly is is, Oh, that's it, yeah. Clarice was never like this. (laughs) But, like, even if she was that fucking smart that they would circumvent the FBI ranks or investigative procedures, they wouldn't do that, but not least of all because anything discovered wouldn't be admissible in court because she's not an actual fucking agent. They can't just bump you up out of fucking Quantico and put you in charge of this murder investigation, then whatever you find in discovery is going to go to court, and they're just going to be like, well... What's her credentials again? Oh, yeah, she's not a real federal agent? Throw it all out. Doesn't matter. Fuck you. <laughs> That's one of my biggest problems with this, is a very basic, simple fact. Is that it, None of this shit would be admissible. Anyway, I, I want to talk about the awful, awful fucking references in this movie. They jump on it right away with the two Frenchmen who are cornering Clifton Curtis behind those fucking like, shipping containers, and they quote the warriors in French. And I'm not sure why, but it makes me want to watch... The Warriors instead of watching this fucking movie, even with as yeah. bad as the French
1: Warriors are. that like seventies campy New York gangster movie.
0: And New- yes, yes, the, all the
1: like random gangs that are
0: yes circus freaks and the biker yes. gang. Oh man, that's a good movie. Yeah, all right, it's a all great right. movie, dude. <laughs> But back in the church and Benz is doing her worst Willem Dafoe impression while Duffy's disaster of an editor does the heartbeat fade to black shit, right? That's another big problem they have this movie is the way it's edited. As they're going along and, like, they're, she's doing her Willem Dafoe thing, like, part of the thing that made Willem Dafoe's shit so interesting is that it was, like, elegaic and it was black and white. And he would, like, go into this alternate reality in his brain like thinking about what happened it would be like these sweeping camera movements and he'd like you know move in conjunction with that like he was a fucking conductor and shit and she's just standing there like looking around and listening to some fucking awful music on her headphones and they're doing this like cut to like fading shit and whatnot using the heartbeat and I hate that okay but
2: are they headphones because they look like earplugs
0: oh wait no she does have earplugs you're right it's not music she's confusing
2: because you expect them to be earphones because of William Defoe's character. And then you're like, wait, why is putting in earplugs helping her go in the zone? It's completely silent. Like it's just a completely different tone compared to the first one
0: right yeah it is maybe that's why there was the heartbeat but if her heartbeat is making that sound where it like starts and it's slowing down (laughs) she should get that shit checked you know that's a problem but (laughs) she says this wasn't them but you boys already knew that right to which they all agree the three stooges agree but she still goes through why it can't be them because we know it's not them the three stooges know it's not them and now she has to monologue for several minutes to tell the audience Why it wasn't the boys (laughs) like this is something that really bothers me is that they use every moment that they can especially with Julie Benz in order to info dump constantly just to do this like story and. Part of the reason that this movie sucks so bad is that Julie Benz ends up being the A storyline rather than the B storyline and like concentrating so much on her as the A storyline sucks out anything that made the first movie great which was the boondock saints the fucking guys that this is supposed to be about the fucking McManus brothers the boys kill a wolf that is black and white right (laughs) and they toss been it extinct
1: there for like <laughs> thousands of years at this point. Yeah.
0: Besides that, they toss it on the fire and it's obviously fake in the way that it like falls you can see the limbs move in a weird way that it's obviously a rubber fucking wolf that weighs like five pounds (laughs) and it's also white like the previous shot showed a black and white wolf and this wolf is completely white and it's just between a cut it's not even like a cutaway between a scene it's literally a one cut transition and the wolf is white and i'm like wow Fucking great prop work, bro. Like whoever fucking got you that wolf (laughs) needs to be fired. Going back to the racism for a second, the Italian mob cliche guys. (laughs) This is some of the worst acting I've ever seen in my life. Like I just sit there, dialogue. It's terrible. (laughs) But I just sit there and I'm just thinking to myself, like, thanks, Troy. Can we do anything but have bad actors saying fuck? Like that's not what made the movie. Oh, they don't just say
1: they fuck. One of the classic lines from this movie is the Italian who put the hit out on the uh, on the priest. He says, these sons of bitches donkey punched us in the ass, yes. yeah. then wiped their dicks
0: on dicks. our grandma's graves. <laughs> classic. Did you write
2: that one down? Yeah.
0: Classic lines. I did. <laughs> I wrote that I wrote that one down too but I wanted to bring up the donkey punching doesn't work that way like you can't donkey punch someone in the ass just saying Why not?
2: If you're fucking them you just
0: You donkey punch away. somebody in the back of the head. You don't donkey punch them in the yeah. ass, Paul.
2: This is where it's trying to be the other movie again because they're trying to like uh. maximize on that fuck scene from the first movie but like Right. You're just
0: But well, this is curious. the gay panic
1: again because mm-hmm. they bring in ass play and donkey punching, and it's just a double whammy.
0: So going back to the Italians real quick, Paul. The Italian mobster circles the table, right, like De Niro in The Untouchables, and then he even fucking takes the Like he takes a salami and <laughs> hits a guy with the salami, and somehow breaks this guy's jaw. You know but... that's probably
1: my favorite part <laughs> of this movie because I don't think I've seen that someone beaten near death with a sausage. <laughs> just... <laughs> I think but, you movies know, need more of that, honestly. Beating somebody to death with a piece of meat. Sausage beat,
0: yeah. Oh, games, dude, man. you know what? Actually, not not that it's the same, but I was re-watching uh, Return of the King right over the break, and there's that moment just before that one orc smashes the other orc with the round rock, right? That... He grabs like a leg of meat and hits this other orc on the back of the head, it. and it's got this squish sound effect that's so good, dude. And I don't know what it is, and I think it's because I had seen Peter Jackson's like splatter movies before. But like, I cannot not laugh at that moment. Like, just yeah. the sound of him hitting him with the fucking leg of meat is so You've good. Got problems, Gabe. But I know I have problems. But it's you. It's okay. We're we're one of the same. It's fine. <laughs> Oh, man. But anyway, so these brothers spend a significant amount of time shirtless in this movie, which I find really weird as they tattoo each other and they shower together and then they throw homophobic slurs at each other while they're doing these acts while they're shirtless. And I'm like, what is this? Like, what yeah, is going they're on? They're deep in the closet.
1: They're just <laughs> yeah. so deep in the <laughs>
0: They <laughs> just panic immediately about gay panic and they're ah Again, Caitlin, I don't know if this is them leaning into the sex appeal of the boys. Like, do you find any of this like attractive about what they're doing in terms of the way that they portray the men?
2: Um, they didn't age well.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> like if you know you're going to be in a movie where half the time you're shirtless, maybe go to the gym a little bit. I don't know. <laughs> like, obviously, it's 10 years later, so your body's not going to look the same. So you have to do some more to upkeep. But they've
0: been, like, sheep herders and shit. So they like should have muscles. Shearing them. Exactly. That's no, the problem. All they do is smoke and drink whiskey all day. I mean, there's they're not exactly
1: you know carb loading and everything like that they're not really trying like when i (laughs) watch
2: boondock Saints one i always remember with like the few friend, the few girlfriends that i had because i don't have a lot of friends who are girls they're just catty but we would argue about which one we thought was cuter Uh, we wouldn't argue about that in this movie we're like no neither of them no discussion (laughs) done
0: But, dude, I want to talk about Clifton Collins Jr.'s accent, right? He says that he's from Boston, but his accent is some sort of Southern Texan, especially saying words like drawers instead of drawers or like pants or fucking underwear or whatever. I don't know what the fuck Troy Duffy was trying to go with here, but it clearly doesn't work. Speaking of that, if a white guy looked at my face and called me a fucking greasy spick, I would smack the fucking taste out of his (laughs) mouth, dude. I would keep hitting him until his fucking teeth fell out. You know what I mean? There's no call for that. And for him to stand by as supposedly being like a proud Mexican and letting this guy disrespect him like that. Especially since he just beat the shit out of those Frenchmen in the previous scene. It doesn't make any sense for his character, number one. And number two, it doesn't make sense for him being a proud Mexican that he'd allow that kind of shit to happen. So
1: if an Irish alcoholic said that to you, I mean, would you be like, yeah, all right, I am Mexican, but you smell like whiskey, so who gives a fuck?
0: (laughs) No. I let it go? anybody no? anybody right, calls right. me a spick, I'm going after them. Like it's not it's not something that I'm going to just sit there just and call take me a potato eater and let it go. Gabe. <laughs> <laughs> but what's with the uh, what's with the Irish superstition with like the black cat crossing their path constantly? They just show that in multiple scenes in the movie, and then they never do anything about
1: yeah, it. Yeah, okay. So no, I was confused. do no, they do.
0: Oh wait, what do
1: they do? Because I what are
2: you confused about?
1: I did not see how that panned out because they bring it up a bunch of times, and then maybe I wasn't paying attention, but I missed the <laughs> payoff. <just> <laughs>
2: So this cat comes up multiple times, and it's kind of hinted towards the end. I don't exactly remember how or when, but I think it's supposed to be Rocco's soul or Rocco coming back to watch them. Uh, oh. Because there's a part where Rocco's at the end with the cat and like kind of like this dream thing that was going on. I don't remember what was happening at the so end. i zoned out. But anyways... <laughs> Let me me dissect this cat a little bit because it's all black, which, (laughs) right, thank you for exhibit A. Um, (laughs) But but then it has a white collar. So there's this weird priest uh, association with it, which is even weirder for Rocco because in the first one, he hated going to church. He's like, we got to stop this morning church shit, you guys. I can't take, I can't get up this early. (laughs) So it also seems like they were just shooting one day and this black cat with this weird collar walks across the scene and someone's like, oh yeah, that'll be good for Rocco's soul. Let's make sure that cat comes back because the cat doesn't represent Rocco in any sort of way, appearance wise or attitude wise. Like I would want a New York deli cat. (laughs) representing Rocco because there's like a toughness to them and then there's like scruffiness like this is just a regular house cat exhibit a
0: yeah. There are so many ham fisted like wannabe references to other movies in this movie. Like he <laughs> tries he tries to rip off Guy Ritchie in this movie too. Like one of the three Stooges says his best snitch is called Gorgeous George, aka a blatant Man. reference to Snatch by Guy Ritchie. Another director that Troy wishes he was as clever as. And Richie isn't even that fucking smart either. And that's the really frustrating part. Yeah, I didn't get
1: the gorgeous George thing, but now it makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, as soon as it came up, all I could think of was Snatch. I was just like, "Oh, yeah, Snatch, Gorgeous George, yeah, great, thanks, Troy." I want to rewatch that movie. It's been a long time <laughs> since I've seen that. It's a great movie, man. It's like I like it a lot more than Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, to be honest with you.
1: Yeah, no, it's uh, it's more fine tuned than that movie, I suppose. Yeah, it's more stylish. And it's got the, you like dags? Dags. (laughs) Dags.
0: Sure. I like digs. But anyway, we cut to the boys meeting up with fuck ass from the first movie and they're abusing alcohol making dick jokes, screaming and goofing off as we cross cut to an out of context reaction of fuck ass setting up a joke for the boys and then we cross fade out. Is this meant to be endearing at all? Because there's nothing to hold on to here because the boys are just <laughs> stereotypes and they're in their 40s and they're acting this way. I'm like, this was fine in the first movie because they were like kind of young and like you could deal with that. But I'm like, dude, they're in their 40s like and they're still acting this way loud and proud to not to not capitalize on fuck ass in this movie is like such a bad thing too because he's one of the like most entertaining side characters in the first movie but this movie is just kind of there because they're like oh yeah remember this guy yeah he's in this movie too and i'm like yeah thanks troy yeah thanks (laughs) he doesn't need to be in this movie but whatever but
2: hold on so i have a question not related to the movie did you trim your facial hair before you were filming this yeah yeah you were kind of rushed
0: it's crooked right
2: normally Gabe is really good about cleaning around the sink not tonight (laughs) it's actually a
1: pile of my hair in the sink too so great you know Jill's not gonna clean it though she never does so it's fine
0: One of the worst things about this movie for me is, like, the side storyline to 1958. Like, setting up Peter Fonda's character and his relationship to Billy Connolly and them leading to their big showdown at the end, right? It's only set up so that way they can have a showdown with Billy Connolly at the end where they can kill him. Otherwise, it's not elemental to the story at all. Like, yeah, sure, he, like, set up the other mob in order to take out his competition with the boys or whatever the fuck, and that was the whole point of that, but... I'm like, there's, what, 10, 12 scenes that take place in 1958? And I'm just like, I don't care. I don't care about any of this. I I don't care about the leather vest. (laughs) I don't care about any of this. And the fact that it takes them nine of the 12 scenes to finally get to the fact that this is Billy Connolly that we're looking at from 1958, when he finally dons the, like, six-gun vest that he, like, famously sports in the first one, I just don't give a shit. And to spend that much time in the movie like fucking draining the life out of this fucking thing, I'm like, I don't care. I don't care. Just fucking move on with it. Cut it. Fuck it. And I honestly don't remember, though, and I don't think Caitlin would remember this either, but I don't remember it being in the regular theatrical cut. I think that this might be a director's cut thing because it is 20 minutes worth of shit that they added, but I honestly don't remember.
2: I don't remember either. Wait,
0: so they didn't have the big showdown in the end? They had the big showdown. What I'm saying is, is that I don't remember all the scenes from 1958 in the original or in the theatrical mm-hmm. cut. I could be wrong.
1: No. they really should have just ended it with them um, killing all the mafiosos and being done with it. And-
0: yeah, like yeah. they did in the first one. Yeah, yeah, good. Yeah. Which is the same fucking movie, besides the fact, but. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, one scene that I was completely confused so wait, by. Does this
1: uh, movie have anything to do with All Saints Day at any point? I don't think so. No.
2: Okay. <laughs> I mean, maybe with the angel's wings falling off. <laughs> okay. So that's the entire was,
0: reason for the title. All right, cool. The title, he just wanted something to use that title with. You know what I mean? All Saints yeah. Day. It was bound yeah. to happen. But he couldn't figure out the story that went around it, so he just dropped it on, and he's like, oh, nobody will know. Nobody will notice (laughs) that it doesn't have anything to do with All Saints Day. But one scene that I was completely confused by Paul that I turned to Caitlin and I was like, what the fuck is happening? Is that guy Jojo, right? That, he, that gorgeous jo- George goes to meet in the car crushing area or whatever. They start talking and then he's like screaming at him about something. And then it's over and he like cracks a joke. Jojo cracks some joke, which I don't even remember. And that's the end of the scene. And I'm like, who the fuck is this guy? And I I, I paused the movie and I looked at Caitlin. And I was like, what is happening? Who is this guy? Why does this matter? matter what the fuck is going on
2: the, the guys on the same level as jojo and they jojo just realized that they're bait basically and so jojo went to tell the other guy that they're bait i don't know what the point was maybe it's like we have to do something about it but that wasn't entirely clear
0: yeah but that scene i was just like okay this could be cut this is five minutes that doesn't yeah i remember
1: this scene
0: so
2: they were like crushing a black suv in the background or something like that it was really bizarre
0: yeah yeah i just watched this
1: movie like two hours ago and i don't remember remember
2: (laughs)
0: But dude, uh, Julie Julie shows up in the bar in a later scene. I'm gonna cut ahead. But Julie shows up to the bar that the boys are in and saves the boys' ass from Napoleon coming in and like shooting up the place. The short assassin that they're after, right? Then she wait, says wait, that wait.
1: she before that happens. Oh, okay. <laughs> the Mexican guy says, "I'm about to go poncho fucking via out yeah. there." Yeah. Another classic classic line here. yeah <laughs> oh wait but then after they finish shooting everyone he goes
2: <laughs>
1: and then says viva mexico so yeah
0: because
1: he's Name. mexican
0: That's what I'm like. Are
2: are we going to talk about all the different roles that he had throughout the movie?
0: Of Clifton Collins Jr.'s roles? Yeah. What do you mean?
2: So he starts off, he starts off, well, first he's in a a fight, right? You know, like illegal fighting, gambling, whatnot. Right.
0: Like snatch. Mm -hmm. But yeah, continue. Slight
2: slight stereotype (laughs) there. Uh, then, Then he is a forklift driver in a wife beater. Yeah. Then after that... There's something before he's the laundry person. What is right. he before the laundry person? Right. He's, the, he's a isn't he a chef, chef or yeah. something? Yeah,
0: he's in the restaurant, yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. Sure. So forklift driver, chef, and now at the hotel pushing the laundry cart.
0: Right. I'm like It's the only thing <laughs> it's the only thing that Mexicans can be believable doing apparently is these jobs, according to Troy Duffy. Thank you, Troy, for that. <laughs> So, like, what I wanted to talk about was the scene when she gets to the bar, like, she shoots at Napoleon, chases him out of the bar when he comes in order to jump them in the bar, and then she says that she's there to help them, and decides to help them by staging a crime scene, right, after they shoot up Jojo and all the other motherfuckers that are in the bar. But we flashback again to show the alternate reality as Julie struts up and down between them and stares directly into camera multiple <laughs> times. While smiling and explaining this wasn't the boys, but unless these homicide detectives are stupid as fuck, one bullet pulled from a body would reveal (laughs) that none of the guns match ballistics for the bullets inside the bodies, but they do match the bullets and the ballistics of the dead bodies from the first movie. And Julie Andrews therefore lied, so now the case is over, the goddamn FBI comes in. Beretta 9 millimeters, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Indicts her for fucking conspiracy and destroying evidence, and then they track down the boys, movie over. Fuck you, Troy, you fucking hack. This is such a simple little detail that he tries to get overly complicated constantly in this movie, and I'm like, even if they were stupid, as soon as it goes to the corner and they dig out the slugs, they still have to do forensic evidence on the fucking slugs. That's the whole goddamn point. It's evidence, you know? And to, like, not acknowledge that whatsoever, that it's just Julie Benz waving her tits around. What bothers that, like, me about this
1: movie is every time they pull a slug out of a body or have it in evidence, it's like a hollow point, but it's never impacted. ballooned out. It's yeah. never impacted. It's just like they pull it out of a They pulled
0: it cartridge. out of a bullet, yeah, a virgin yeah. cartridge and put it in the fucking gore effect or whatever. Yeah, it's terrible. But yeah. that that really fucking bothers me about this movie. I'm like, maybe this is linked into my long running hatred on this podcast toward Hollywood and guns and how Hollywood has no idea how weapons work. Apparently, you know, this is a whole other thing. Is that this? <laughs> they don't know how fucking police procedure works either. And I'm not even a cop, but I know that they would do that. You know, like.
2: <laughs> so there's actually there's actually another version, and it's the. Extended version past the director's cut Where it explains that Julie Benz's Character goes into evidence And switches out the bullets So they, they don't match okay. the other guns okay, Or maybe yeah, she yeah. switches out the guns sense, She then. messes something up with the evidence you know. But they had to cut that because it was getting too long Yeah, because
0: now it's a three and a half hour Boondock Saints movie that we really don't need There's
1: a whole but heist she- scene Where she has to break into the evidence locker and She has to assemble a crew And all this stuff Yeah
0: All right. Makes sense. (laughs) Like fucking uh, Rick and Morty. (laughs) But, dude. The the boys, this is something, this is another scene that comes out of nowhere, is that the boys end up at a gun dealer who talks like a wine merchant to outfit them with new weapons. Like, I don't know why this scene needs to be in here, and I don't know how they found this guy, why they need new guns in the middle of the movie, or anything. Like, it's just a fucking scene that's there. Yeah, it seems what like their old guns have been me? working pretty good for them and everything. It's
2: so. because they're trying to recreate the old movie in this moment, when they first go get their guns and the fucking rope. Was
0: it the same guy?
2: I don't, so I was watching the first one today because that was one of the questions that I had. I don't think so. I also don't think it was like the same place or like an upgrade. Like it was a completely <laughs> different style of place. So even if it were the same guy, it's like all of a sudden his taste has changed.
0: <laughs> he um, got more business. Like, he upped his business game by changing the aesthetic. No, but of the place I think the other
2: there. one was better.
0: It's like Taxi Driver, dude. The gun dealer and taxi driver that comes to his apartment and just throws the shit on the bed and tells him to pick one. That's a gun dealer. It's not a guy with like, like these matrix style like gun racks hanging all over the place and like custom fucking desert eagles, which I mean I'm gonna if get I to were in a, a second gun
1: dealer, I would probably do something really cool like that <laughs> because you know your clientele expects it to be like the movies at some point so you better (laughs) make a nice show of it
0: so it's not like taxi driver and it's not like lord of war where it's just some jerk off of the briefcase that comes to you (laughs) i digress on that but because in this scene there are two uses homophobic slurs back to back like they don't need to be there they just make fun of clifton collins jr for picking the guns that he does and of course Since the guns have the Mexican flag, he's going to cry over them and all this other shit. And then they try to make him be like this, like, I don't know, for lack of a better word, like this bitch... That like doesn't fucking like have any guts because he's crying over shit that the boys constantly make fun of him. They constantly make fun of him in this movie for that. Like that he has any sort of like empathy or whatever that he finds things emotionally involving. And I fucking hate it, man. Like, oh, great. Okay, so now the Mexican is the main source of the laughing stock of this movie. Great. Because you don't have Rocco to rip on because he died in the first movie. (laughs) Well, they
1: explain it later in that scene where they're explaining what being a man is, you know, drinking to excess, not crying, (laughs) making fun of gay people and
2: minorities. (laughs) Right. What, what that was the weird dream scene, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, with Rob. How does
2: it end? Uh, I
0: don't. Remember. Uh, I don't remember. It's like a
2: hockey player. Oh yeah, the hockey <laughs> player. It, like, the slides chair. up, and he's like, "Thanks for coming out," or something like that. <laughs> right? Is that yeah. what he says? Yeah, I
0: think so. But he whacks the puck directly into the camera, and it cuts the black, and then we're into the next scene because uh, I think it was. I think it was Sean Patrick Flannery wakes up from his dream that Rocco was in. That was really fucking weird. I didn't get that was that the all. weirdest
2: part of the whole movie.
0: It is, and it's it's got the music from the original, where like it's the opening, like happy music with like the bagpipes and the fiddles and shit, and then it's supposed to be this happy moment where Rocco gets reunited with him somehow in a dream, but it's just filled with awful shit about being a terrible human being and being fucking super hyper masculine and toxic masculinity and so on. But yeah, I don't, I don't yeah, get that's that.
2: That's like a ad for a toxic masculinity right there.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, Troy throughout this movie, like raises his hand constantly. If they're like, who's the homophobe in here? Troy shoots his hand up. You know, who's the racist? He shoots his hand up. And it's like, They do it again in the elevator. Like, the boys yell at each other in, like, homophobic slurs. I think that they use the F word at each other in the elevator and, like, use gay as stupid and shit like that. But he just keeps raising his hand multiple times throughout this movie. I'm like, we get it, Troy. You don't like gay people, okay? Like, we get it. (laughs) But what
2: happened between this one and the first one?
0: What, in order for him to turn into something like that?
2: Yeah, because in the first one, nothing... Of of a homophobic joke stands out, except for when they go to investigate the tr- the crime scene after the, after they came from the ceiling with the rope and there's like nine dead bodies, right. and the main target was a larger man. But when they are describing him, they say. F- man and then william defoe's character is like huh and they're like the fat man so again there's even right. like oh probably shouldn't make this joke because it could be offensive to some people right. Just like and, uh, the n-word earlier in that movie and
0: william defoe is gay in the first movie right if i remember correctly
2: it's not explicit i but thought he, he woke also- up next to
0: a man in some scene oh
2: no he does yeah okay you're yeah
0: so yeah, yeah he's he's gay in the first movie which is why he like reacts so negatively to that and they don't they don't right. denigrate william defoe Like in that whole movie, they don't denigrate Willem Dafoe, Willem Dafoe is like the smartest guy in that fucking movie, and he's like putting Mm -hmm. all the pieces together and shit, but in this movie they're constantly making fun of gay people, which is fucking insane. But you know what changed between the first movie and the second movie, Caitlin, is that Barack Obama was elected fucking president (laughs) and they were like, Oh shit, got insecure little white men like Troy Duffy are like, Oh shit, I'm gonna have to stop being P or I'm gonna have to start being PC and I can't make gay jokes and like I gotta I gotta fucking react even more violently toward that and double down. Exactly, yeah. (laughs) It's exactly what happens. But let's talk about the hack attack of the movie, Paul. The hack attack of the movie for me is the scaffolding scene when they're coming down from the fucking roof, of the like descending down before they do their like rope jump in order to swing into the fucking apartment of the mob boss or whatever. Wait, wait, right
1: before this happens, they're at the bar and the three detectives show up, and suddenly they're all on board with murdering a bunch of people. <laughs> like no. <laughs>
2: That's because they helped out in the other one.
1: Did they? Yeah. Okay. So William
2: Defoe's character <laughs> goes to the confessional and confesses to the priest. This is in the first one again. That he, he doesn't... Know what to do because he, as his job, he's supposed to arrest these guys, but these guys are going around and killing all the people that take too long to build cases on, always end up getting out, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And so the priest is like one being held by the neck with Rocco, and then Rocco being held by one of the boys. So uh, <laughs> the priest is like, "Are they going to be dangerous men?" And then William Defoe's character is like, "No, you know, not unless you're a dangerous man." And so the priest requires him to reflect. I forget where I was going with this. Oh, the connection to the three the three guys. So in the final scene, when they go kill the mob boss in the uh, at the trial, one of the cops is the one. One of the detectives is the one to pull the fire alarm to create the distraction. And then also prior to that, William Defoe's character cross dresses. And gets into one of the houses right. of the
0: people yes. and kills
2: everyone, and I so that's forgot why they about keep that. saying. <laughs> that's why they keep worrying about Julia Benz because they're like, "Is she going to find out that we were accessories to murder?" And that's what they're talking about. Those two
1: uh,
0: scenes, uh, and so right. it makes okay. it makes sense
2: <laughs> given that in the second one.
0: God damn it! I, I missed a lot there. I forgot about all that <laughs> shit. I forgot, uh, but it's all not. Of that.
2: It's not it's not clear in the first one like you're like did that happen okay yeah that did happen but that's part of the mystery of it because that's where they start to weave the investigation scenes with the murder scenes and so it's not exactly clear what was going on
0: okay i can see that but anyway going back to the hack attack i them, them dropping down on the fucking scaffolding right And then they say, oh, well, I estimate it's about 165 feet short. And they start, like, running out this line in five-foot lengths to get to 165 feet. But 165 feet of climbing line under force when they jump off of it, like it's a fucking bungee cord as they leap from the platform, it would snap. That's it. (laughs) Dead boys. Like, it is meant to survive a lot because it's climbing rope, but not 165 feet of free fall. There was this
1: dude who would... Go bungee jumping with climbing
0: rope. How'd that work out?
1: Well, he died because <laughs> he left <laughs> he he did this one huge jump and he left the line hanging there for like a year. Uh, and it, it got weathered, so then he came back to it and did it again, and it snapped wow. because what it dumb, deteriorated.
0: Fuck, dude. Yeah. You so you can't,
1: you can't go bungee jumping with climbing rope because it has enough, like, elasticity to it that it will absorb that shock. But it's not pleasant.
0: 165 and, feet? Yeah,
1: and if you do it wrong, you'll die. So <laughs> <laughs>
0: But then, you know, there's all these weird moments of style where he changes up, where Troy changes up his style because we cut to that, like, weird dream sequence of Julie in a cowgirl outfit on a lit table. And, like, the boys swing through the window and she's, like, doing this as a cowgirl. And I was like, what the fuck is happening? Like, I've never seen this in any of the other, or the other movie. And it's completely out of left field. Yeah, I wasn't
1: sure if she was part of it or... She was reconstructing it.
0: She did say that it was a gunfight at the OK Corral, and that uh, maybe is why they justified uh, the cowgirl. That, that. that all makes sense. Okay, it's fine. The, the other weird scene during this moment is that Clifton Collins Jr. screams out, who ordered the whoop-ass fajitas? And Julie leans into him and th- her theoretical self and says, you kicked in the door, didn't you? For us to cut to another alternate one lighter of him saying, ding-dong, motherfucker, ding-dong. <laughs> Like, what is this? Like, the scene textually is her telling her dickhead boss how this went down. But subtextually, it's us seeing her reconstruct the scene and this alternate line edit after breaking the fourth wall, like, is what? What is this? If you look at it as a dumb motherfucker and you're not actually paying attention to what's happening in the movie, sure, it's funny. But like, what is it when you're actually paying attention? She's not actively changing these lines for her boss as she's telling him that he's a stupid fuck. Like, this is style within a reference, within a flashback, within a story. So this is flashback inception? <laughs> fuck you, Troy. I don't get this at all. I don't fucking get this.
2: He's trying to make this tagline.
0: Ding dong, motherfucker, ding dong. <laughs>
2: Remember at how least you it wasn't
1: racist
0: around? in that. In that
1: line, she's trying sure. to tell him to do better, less racist. Than being
0: a, ra- yeah, sure. An alternate character or an alternate reality of a character within her reconstruction. She's telling him not to be so racist. So it means that she's racist if she's if she's reconstructing the line. <laughs> Great.
2: Well, you also are missing when they were getting out of the elevator before this whole scene took place. They told Rocco that he better not be late. I'm like, why would they choose Rocco to be the one that they tell that to? When did they, it was just they weak. told
0: Rocco not to be late?
2: Coming out of the elevator when they're going their separate ways.
0: But Rocco's dead.
2: Or not Rocco, sorry.
0: Clifton Collins Jr. Yes. Rocco too. Yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah, Rocco too. <laughs> <laughs> they,
2: just, they, they lean over and tell him, like, don't be late.
0: Right, right. But dude, I want to talk about a second hack attack of the movie for me, right? Because Napoleon comes into the bar shooting as Billy Connolly intercedes, right? Only to unload his gun and play Russian roulette with Napoleon after giving him the other revolver, right? And... In in the scene, if you're caught up in it, it's kind of interesting and it's like, oh, this is kinda cool, you know, blah, 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 blah. But the thing about revolvers is is that you can see the cylinder from the front, meaning that you know when there's a round in the chamber. <laughs> yeah. So there's no It's also real... like looking directly in the barrel. Yeah. So, yeah, he could he could tell. He would know. So, he wouldn't so. there wouldn't be this like fucking like, oh I'm scared that this may actually go off. You would know if it was your time and you were gonna buy the farm. But besides the fact, if this fucking killer is standing there with Billy Connolly and he has the ability to shoot him, he would just pull the trigger until it went off. You know what I mean? Like, he wouldn't wait and give this, like, You know deference to Billy Connolly in order to pull the trigger on him this isn't established at all within his character and it's just there for some fucking reason it's style for the sake of style and it's not fucking indicative of the (laughs) storyline besides that interrogating a henchman like this wouldn't yield results because you were assuming that he isn't going to just click the gun until it goes off so you're assuming that he's going to be okay with being interrogated this way. I don't get this fucking respect that's happening between these two men. It's not established. They hate each other. They each
2: need each other.
1: There's (laughs) no code of assassins that when you're playing Russian roulette with each other that you have to go by the rules of established in the deer hunter. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say this is
0: a reference (laughs) to the deer hunter, but it's a fucking shitty reference to the deer hunter, dude. But anyway, so later we cut to the boys, Billy and Clifton, walking in slow motion trench coats, right? Sunglasses inside and walking into a church to pray before their showdown, right? But given they are folk heroes in Boston, how the fuck did they enter without anyone noticing them? And how the fuck did they leave Boston without anybody noticing them?
2: They, they grew out their hair and dyed it blonde again.
0: They didn't dye their hair blonde, though. <laughs> They're still brown haired. <laughs> But somehow, Billy Connolly gets to meet with Peter Fonda, right? Revealed to be his old friend from the past with the leg brace seen in flashback number 23,561. And rather than just kill him in the woods as he approaches, he lets him get all the way inside to have a talk about Peter's garden. But then Peter speaks in metaphor and says, you can't see the beauty of my garden. You are a destroyer. No, Peter, he can't see the beauty of your garden because he is wearing fucking sunglasses inside <laughs> during a cloudy day and he can't see shit. But Peter Fonda's Italian accent, English, though, is just legendarily horrible. <laughs> this scene is another one of those moments where it's like they stretch on for seven minutes paul seven fucking minutes they're talking about shit that we've already seen all the flashback scenes that took up those 20 minutes of the director's cut or whatever there's seven more minutes and i'm like now it's a quarter of the movie at
1: this point (laughs) Uh, i lost track i don't even recall anything of the dialogue that happened in the scene
2: there is this weird thing with the record player with it starting and then stopping so they could talk and then restarting it again.
0: That's called <laughs> obviousness, Caitlin. That's for people that don't know how movies are put together. <laughs> They're like, oh, the record player is dying, so he's dying. That's one of the worst things is that like the boys get hit a couple times, as does Billy. And Billy says his goodbyes to his old nemesis and kills him. And then only then, after he shoots his nemesis in the head, does the record slow down to a scratch and I'm like, oh, okay, so the record was attached to his heart monitor? Is that what was going on? That if his heart monitor goes out, the record dies? It's like Tenet. Wait, what the fuck are you talking about with Tenet? When the mafioso dies, the the planet
1: explodes and existence ends.
0: That was set up at the beginning, you <laughs> dumb shit. <laughs> But dude, Billy Billy dies, right? Which is unforgivable. That's one of the reasons why this movie sucks. Is that Billy Connolly is one of the most interesting characters, especially from the first movie they reveal El Mostro and all that bullshit and he comes wheeled out and whatnot and then he shoots up the place and there's that firefight with Willem Dafoe in the middle of it and shit. But they kill it's the
2: six men versus one man line. Yes.
0: Yeah. But they kill they kill Billy Connolly in the worst fucking way possible. I'm like, dude, this guy, this guy is a one-man fighting machine. And he goes down from this stupid little gunfight? Like, it's fucking idiotic. Billy dies and the boys cry terribly, I might add, and completely <laughs> tearless. They can't fucking summon was a there, tear.
1: Was their reaction, their tearful reaction better than when the, the
0: detective died in the scene like one or two before? <laughs> no. But <laughs> but to be clear, though, I only bring that up because in the first movie when Rocco died, they're crying. And there's tears and there's snot and there's all the great things about, like, great crying scenes. But in this movie, they can't seem to get a tear out of their eyeball, which is this, like... A sort of post forty thing, like being able to piss. Like you can't piss as much, so you can't cry as much as well.
2: Things just start to dry out the older you get.
0: <laughs> yeah, your eyeballs, your dick, <laughs> like, none of it works. None of it works anymore. But dude, so side note: the boys use Desert Eagles with suppressors, right? And even if these were chambered in the smallest caliber available from Desert Eagle, the maximum capacity with these mags could only be nine rounds plus one in the chamber. But in the previous scene, when they blast through the glass and they slide around on their knees through Wait, broken glass, are you those are Desert Eagles. I'm 100% positive. I paused that shit so that way I could see it. Uh. But they fire out like a thousand rounds again in that scene where they're sliding they're sliding along on their knees through broken glass and they don't get fucked up they're just wearing jeans <laughs> but then once again dude we we're, we're nearing the end of the movie and we revealed that willem Defoe is indeed in this shitty movie that he faked his death I just
1: want I just want to shit on the the editing of this like fight scene <laughs> there's all these shots. Where the bad guy's like drawing a bead on one character, and the other character slowly like raises his gun, like (laughs) shoots the dude, and you see him like flying back, he's like dying and everything. And they have four or five of these, like, I'm gonna shoot you, but then the other guy shot me first,
0: right? And just (laughs) that's
1: what that's what there's no tension,
0: though. Yeah, I mean, if you think back at like the the scene with. Billy Connolly in the first movie with the firefight and like the six guys in one gun thing. There's a lot of tension there because there's a lot of bullets flying and the boys get hit a lot and there's blood sprayed out all over the place and they have to spread ammonia everywhere in order to keep Willem Dafoe from finding out that it was them in order to figure out And Rocco loses
2: a finger. Rocco
0: loses a finger. (laughs) All that shit. (laughs) Which, by the way, he has all of his fingers in this movie. I don't know if you noticed that or not, but he's not missing a finger in his scene. He's oh. still got his oh, finger it's like Troy Duffy forgot about that scene that he did in the first movie or something But again Willem Dafoe shows up at the end of this movie He sh- he faked his own death and has been working with the priest who set the boys on the path to help Julie Get out of the country to hide her right all because Dafoe wants to exploit the boys and make a two-man army traveling wherever he wants them to go in order to kill everybody that he wants them to kill He wants to take this internationally, setting up, you know, Boondock Saints 3, which, by the way, both Norman Reedus and Sean Patrick Flannery said that they would never be involved in a Boondock Saints anything after this movie, including the prequels or the sequels that Troy Duffy wants to (laughs) do. So, like, his movies are fucked. He can't keep going with these movies. Despite the boys being mass murderers, being incarcerated, and waking up in the hospital in prison, somehow Defoe's excuse of fallible men as a possible sequel setup that they can get out of prison? Because why not? Two uneducated drunks <laughs> could be his own private army with the help of the Catholic Church. Right. What are they trying to say about the Catholic Church in this, you know what I mean? Like you know, So the Catholic Church looks the other way on diddling, and now they're looking the other way on mass murder? Is that what's happening here?
1: I would say that you definitely don't put three members of the same hit squad in the same prison cell.
0: <laughs> I'm just
1: I'm put that out there. Maybe you put them in separate prisons or at least different cell blocks. I'm, yeah,
0: different states, you know, yeah. <laughs> like whatever. All right, let's put them together, you know? Sure, sure, they, why not? It's fine. But dude, you know,
1: they got a good rapport with each other. You know, They're not going to fight.
0: <laughs> and there's no way that they could try to get out of prison or do any <laughs> other number of things because these boys are always up to no good. We cut to black as the boys literally wag their fingers at the prison yard. That they're like, oh, I see all this wrongdoing. And they're wagging their fingers at the pr- prison yard. Presumably that the third movie is going to pick up with them in the prison yard, like killing somebody for like, I don't know ass raping their fucking like rival in prison or something like that I don't know what their motivations would be I guess that they could like <laughs> you know look into these people's dossiers and figure out why they're in prison and then like track down who they want to kill in prison you know what I take that back if the third boondocks movie was like the raid 2 where it's just this nonstop fight sequence inside of a prison I'd be okay with that you know yeah. like you no, can make that movie no, no, I would yeah. watch that Ricky O that's Ricky O <laughs> <laughs> throw the guy in the blender and shit yeah yeah yeah. that would be good god damn i always forget about (laughs) ricky i don't i don't like that movie paul but there's a lot of things that i like watch it and tell me that it it is amazing i think it was because i saw it right after we watched caligula and i was still sort of sitting there with that bad taste in my mouth for like campy don't get me wrong it's a
1: horrible movie but it's it transcends all of that (laughs) into something divine (laughs)
0: yeah a gift from the gods Paul that's what you're calling it okay you know what I'm gonna have to sit down and watch Ricky O again because I haven't seen it in forever but anyway so we cut to black and the boys wag their finger and then we roll credits to one of the worst songs that could have ever appeared on an end credits sequence I think that this is again like Troy Duffy has his band I don't even know if they're still together the brood because like he basically insulted everybody that was involved in that band and fucking closed himself (laughs) off (laughs) <laughs> but, <laughs> you know I really do hope Paul even though I know that it's probably not true I hope that Troy Duffy is out of money and that he's broke again and that he's bartending in Boston just like he was at the end of the first movie because he didn't have any fucking money from that and he spent all of it I really hope that he ends up with all these ideas that he thinks are great and he fucking dies an old man in a chair shitting into a colostomy bag like Robert De Niro at the end of The Irishman. That's what I really, really hope happens to Troy Duffy because he's not a good person and he's fucking awful as a filmmaker. <laughs> That's that. So anyway, do you have any other final points on this movie, Paul? No. Caitlin, did you have any last reactions to this movie?
2: You said you were going to explain why you didn't like the first Boondocks, and you never did.
0: Okay, so the part of the reason why I don't like the first Boondocks movie is because this movie tainted them so much that I ended up hating the characters at the end of this movie, like the boys specifically, because I hate their interactions with each other in this movie, and it like completely sullies anything. In the first one? No, this movie. And it completely oh, okay. sullies anything that happened in the first movie to me, because I think about those charming moments or those fun moments between the boys in the first one. And it's just completely sullied by this that I'm like, I look back on it and I'm like, eh, you know, like it's it's fine, you know? like But I'm not as entertained because I have this black stain hanging over the first <laughs> movie with this movie. 'Cause I view it as like an extension of the story, obviously. The other reason that I don't like the first movie is that people celebrate it for way more than what it is. Like it is a good movie and it's entertaining, but ultimately it's poorly written and that it's like wanting to be Tarantino so fucking badly or Guy Ritchie so fucking badly, that it just doesn't feel like anything original. It just kind of feels like a ripoff of tarantino or guy ritchie that's like your opinion man that's like my opinion <laughs> I don't have ever...
2: so you're saying that the, the second one made the first movie worse
0: yes because i go back and i watch the first movie and i see elements that ended up in the second movie that just make my skin crawl because that, i know where it ends up does that happen when you watch the hobbit trilogy <laughs> <laughs> Uh, partially in that the Hobbit trilogy I know isn't going to be ever as good as the the Lord of the Rings trilogy and that's the big thing about the, the Hobbit trilogy that bothers me but I can look at the Hobbit trilogy as its own thing because I don't have to worry about the stories intersecting beyond the fact that you know, uh, fucking Bilbo ends up back at the Hobbit hole and starts writing his fucking story. But they
1: explain uh, Sauron and he's the necromancer. Yeah, I
0: get that. I get that. That's fine, you know. (laughs) But it doesn't link up to an emotional element of the first movies that really hooks me, you know what I mean? And I can leave that alone. Because the main relationships in the first movie are still intact after watching the prequels. You know what I mean? Do you look at
1: Legolas differently? Because he's just a murder bastard in the hobbit
0: (laughs) i never liked legolas to be honest with you i liked how badass he was and shit like that but i had a real problem with orlando bloom and that was always a problem that i had with the lord of the rings movies was i was just like god damn it orlando bloom god damn it like why orlando bloom But uh, no I mean it doesn't it doesn't bother me enough that I have to like get away from it like even Uh. even with the Hobbit trilogy the reason why it still works for me is that Martin Freeman is the only guy that could have played Bilbo Baggins and like he's good as Bilbo Baggins you know and like I can view Ian Holmes Bilbo as an extension of him. And that's why I like the original, or why I like the Hobbit trilogy on top of the Lord of the Rings. That's not to say like similar shit with like Godfather Part (laughs) Three, where it's like, God damn it, what the hell is happening?
1: Watching, did you end up watching? I haven't seen
0: Godfather. I haven't seen Godfather Coda yet. I need to sit down and Uh watch it. I mean, it's getting better marks. I thought you were gonna do that. I know. I haven't gotten around to it. Well, this fucking podcast is why I haven't gotten around <laughs> to it, bro. Like I put a lot of work into this every week and I haven't just got, I haven't gotten around to it, all right? I'll watch it, all right? All you right, know what? Right. Tomorrow I will sit down and I will watch the Godfather Coda and I will talk to you about how good or how <laughs> Kayden, bad the Godfather Coda shakes <laughs> her head.
1: She's like, No, you're not doing that.
0: <laughs> no No,
2: he'll end up playing Call of Duty instead.
0: Uh I did get Call of Duty Cold War and I've been playing that a little bit. Uh, so uh, some good shit in that game, man. A lot of good ultra violence. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so Paul, looking forward to next week. The last two weeks, I've kind of picked, you know, like I was just like, we should do this. We should do, you know, like Crossroads was Caitlin's suggestion, obviously, and then the Boondock Saints too. I was thinking it was gonna be great because Caitlin wasn't able to make it for Crossroads. What are you looking at? What are you? What are you thinking about next week? Oh man! Provided that your child Wait. doesn't come. Yeah. The <laughs> <laughs> it's
1: hard to plan. I really wanna do that shining thing, but uh no guarantees we'll we need a backup for that. Yeah, for sure. you're
0: you're gonna have to push that off until it's actually done and then you can pitch it to me that we're gonna do it uh, next week. You know what I mean? You mean I can't keep telling you that we're gonna do it and then just <laughs> never do it? You can tell me as much as you want, but like <laughs> it's not it's not actually gonna happen until it's done and in the can and like you're gonna be like, Okay, next week we're gonna do it. I have the write up, I did all the work, you know, blah blah blah. blah. Uh, so take some time. Break it down. Do your write up without a definite date, so that way when it when it is finished, that you can sit there and be like, okay, you know, next week we should do the shining because I'm gonna sit back and you're gonna host that shit.
2: So, um, just just throwing it out there. One of the other movies that we watched a lot at uh, my movie nights in high school was Blood Gnomes.
0: Oh god, never heard of that (laughs) one.
2: Really? Oh, that's a classic.
0: (laughs) It's like Leprechaun in the Hood. The first time you see Leprechaun in the Hood, you're like, "Oh my god!" But like, someone,
2: a, it's a horror someone
1: movie. In our our audience of seven people needs to find Penitentiary <laughs> Three for us.
0: <laughs> you keep bringing that up. Yeah, I know.
1: I really, really want to. I've never seen the full movie, but what I saw was <laughs> was gold, man. <laughs> I'm telling you. What did you? What did you see it on? I was like in Denver on a local cable TV channel. Like I don't even know what the fuck it was, but it was there, and it was
0: it was great. I, I'm excited to see this thing now because you've been building it up for so much about how fucking <laughs> awful it is. I gotta check it out. <sighs> it's so good, man. Just, <laughs> just see it.
1: So I think it's. Along the lines of Samurai Cop and just all of the classics, the <laughs> classic horrible movies of the 80s. It's, yeah, good. <laughs> I like Samurai Cop, dude. Oh, yeah, Samurai that's a good one. Uh, well, let's see, so we did 2009 this week. I really want to do like a 60s or... 50s movie or something.
0: You want to do a something Cannonball Run too?
1: I, uh, you know, it'd be. I think it'd be worth watching. I don't know <laughs> if there's enough material, but certainly huge cast.
2: So, can I just read the tagline for Blood Gnomes? Yeah, yeah.
1: Let's hear. This it. is from
2: IMBD. I am I. Whatever the letters are, I can't say it right now. <laughs> um, when Daniel, a crime scene, scene investigator, discovers the truth behind a series of bizarre sex murders, no one believes him. <laughs>
1: We gotta be sex murders, huh? That's how you hook your audience in. Yeah, you know, regular murders aren't good enough. But I don't know. Cannonball Run Two. That that movie's drawing me. I haven't seen it though, so I don't know.
0: Maybe it would
1: the right stuff. Yeah, but a lot of people shit on it, so. Hey,
2: this is this is the cover.
1: That looks pretty amazing. When was this made? Two thousand four. Oh man. So wait, you have the DVD in your hand there?
0: I don't know. She...
2: No, it's on my phone. Oh,
1: Okay, sorry. Power
0: of the internet. I know that you had talked about Aqua Teen Hunger Force movie film for theaters, but I can't <laughs> shit on that movie. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, the, So the description on Amazon continues... The blood gnomes were classically horrible and disgusting beasts. Exactly what you look for in the in these things. Lots of blood, killer beasts, and for you guys, lots of boobs. <laughs> Storyline <laughs> was campy, but it worked.
1: What about uh You're really uh, selling this movie to me, Caitlin?
2: The monst that monster <laughs> vagina looked very real in the film. <laughs> it was made out of considerably cheap materials. This is all Amazon. <laughs>
0: Uh, you said Terminator salvation Terminator salvation so, yeah, yeah let's just do let's do that that's an easy one to shit on unless you want to go the way of Kirk Cameron we'll we'll push blood gnomes off because I can't get it until February fifth so there's no way for me to bump it up for next week
2: well maybe just send it to Paul and Paul can decide whether he wants to shit on it or not in a podcast
0: well I still need to buy it in order for me to get a hold of it or Paul needs to buy it in order for me to yeah. get a hold of it so that's I don't want to spend money in that man <laughs> <Shoot>. <laughs> $19 on Blood Gnome? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, maybe I'd spend like 3 bucks to rent it.
0: Right. May,
2: do, maybe they have a used version. Do they have a used version on Amazon?
0: No. Oh, I mean, there's a get... $55 VH, VHS of it. <laughs> Jeez. Oh, man. I feel like
1: VHS is the way to go with this movie, though. You gotta watch it.
0: So, there is the Blood Pack, which includes Blood Gnome, <laughs> Blood Surf. Yeah. <laughs> There's those ones. But Paul, so do you want to just go with Terminator Salvation since we can queue that up for next week and then I can order Blood Gnome? And...
1: <laughs> yeah, all right. Let's <laughs> queue up Terminator Salvation. Let's watch that. And yeah, we're, we're going to have to see Blood Gnomes. There's also uh, Garbage Pale Kids.
0: I don't. I, I can't. <laughs> no, you can't do that. No, it's. What about? It's too uh, much. Yeah, and then we also
1: have to hit up an Ernest movie. <laughs>
0: yeah, we do. We but, do. All right,
1: we're we're gonna do Terminator Salvation
0: next week. Oh wait, shit! Oh. Blood gnome. Blood gnome is on YouTube. Really? <laughs> Yeah, somebody uploaded <laughs> Blood Gnome, the complete movie, to YouTube. All right. All right, all right so it's that. up to you. We're you wanna do Blood Gnome or you wanna do Terminator Salvation?
1: When did Terminator Salvation come out? When was that? Two thousand nine. Uh, same year as this one. No, we gotta we gotta do a different different year. Ideally a different decade, but let's just go with If We can watch Blood Gnomes, let's do it.
0: Alright, I'll uh I'll send this link to you and see. Jesus you should Christ. sit down and
2: watch this one with Jill.
0: It's hard. It's hard. Anything that comes, comes
1: suggested from me or, or or Gabe. Wait, I'll tell her, I'll tell tell her her the
0: story. Why you have that problem. (laughs) Tell, Tell her the story. Why you have the problem. We did.
1: Jill's not a big movie person. And so we did like a movie exchange night where she got her romantic comedy, which was a movie we did for this podcast. Uh, which one was it? The Vow. Vow, yeah, yeah. She got that. And then I was like, well, Gabe sent me this uh, Korean movie for my birthday. It was pretty awesome. The, I saw The Devil, which is about a raping, murdering Korean serial killer. killer yeah, killer. cannibalistic. Yeah, she got like quarter of the way through where she's like, we're never doing this again. <laughs> I don't trust any of your movie choices.
2: But that's how I felt about Gabe after Mandy. After Mandy. <laughs>
1: I tried to get Jill to watch that. She, she already knows better.
2: I revoked Gabe's movie, Picking Privileges, for the next three weeks.
0: Yeah. It's a great movie, dude. It's a great movie. It's awesome that's it. the movie that we mentioned the most on this podcast is mandy that everybody <laughs> needs to watch that movie well once again listeners this is the movie dicks podcast thank you for joining us for listening about the boondock saints 2 all saints day which is an absolute horror show and travesty of filmmaking i fucking hate you troy duffy if i find you <laughs> in a bar in boston i'm gonna fight you i don't care what's happening if it's completely out of context, or I might just fight any number of bald white men with a beard that are in Boston. <laughs> you dumb fuck. So thank you once again, listeners. I am Gabriel Chavez. And I'm Paul Shingle. I'm Caitlin. Happy St. Patrick's Day, motherfuckers. Drink responsibly, or else you might turn out like Sean Patrick <laughs> Flannery. <laughs>